0: You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network.
1: Welcome back to the Oz Network for week number three of Australia vs. Canada Month. We're into our second Canadian film uh, and going back in time from our first Canadian film to what you could, I guess, pinpoint as the beginning of mainstream movies in Canada. Very important, if not you know, classic film, extremely important. We're talking about 2002 hit Men with Brooms, the single greatest curling movie ever made (laughs) uh, as (laughs) determined by every person who's ever watched every curling movie ever made. Uh, My name is Colin and my gonads have forsaken me.
0: And my name is Ben and the last time I saw myself I was doing something irregular with a cow. <laughs> he was telling me that story off the air too. That has
1: nothing to do with this episode. Yeah, no, nothing, nothing at all. Uh, this is um, the first thing I thought of when we first started talking about uh, Australia Canada Month, uh, because I think even prior to us discussing Australia Canada Month, when we did the Olympics, uh, what was that like two years ago? Now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we were looking for okay, well, what Olympic movies could we potentially do for Winter Olympics? And, you know, I think we decided on four. This may have even been before *Itonia* was coming out. And I had said, well, it's not about the Olympics, but it is a curling movie, Men with Brooms. So I've been waiting to discuss this for a long time. Um, As I said, last week, I've only seen this movie twice before now. So this is only my third time watching this movie, even though I saw it, I think, opening weekend when it came out 18 years ago, which is crazy. Uh, So this isn't like a movie that I'm... Super obsessed with the way, you know, I mean, Bon Cop, Bad Cop. I'm a huge fan of that movie. I could watch it all the time. You with Boy Town last week. This for me is more it's an important movie, as I was saying at the beginning, because uh, as we've gone through in both of our countries, you know, we don't have the budgets or the audience to justify making $100 million movies in Australia or Canada. So typically what you'll get is low-budget movies, and those for the most part end up being very arthouse uh, movie. We we have a lot of very critically acclaimed movies, as I said before. You know, we've had uh, Canadian movies win best foreign language film. We did it before. You, you Korea. That's right. Uh, we've uh, had Canadian English language movies get nominated for you know, best picture. Uh, but to have a mainstream Canadian movie, really, the last time it had happened prior to this was uh, I guess a couple of times. There was Meatballs and Porkies, which was sort of the dawn of the. 80s raunchy sex comedies uh, both Canadian movies both huge hits uh, and then in the 90s we had Air Bud the movie about the dog that (laughs) played football which spawned a massive franchise Uh, but it's not like there were mainstream Canadian movies and I think the most interesting thing about Men with Brooms is that uh, I saw trailers for this movie and you would never see trailers playing unless you were in an art house movie theater you'd never see trailers for an upcoming Canadian movie And we're talking months before this came out. There was a trailer for one scene in the movie, which is the the big slow-mo shot where, you know, Eddie slips, you know, and everybody else is doing their uh, epic walk. And that was just the teaser trailer. And so there was so much hype behind this movie, uh, which had never really happened before, the Canadian movie. And the majority of that has to do with Paul Gross, who's the star of this movie and writer and director. Uh, But uh, I, I don't even know how much of a reputation this has outside of Canada Uh, Here, though, even though I said it's not really considered to be a classic movie, it's pretty much one of the few Canadian movies that everybody knows. You're not going to meet a person who doesn't know of Men with Brooms. You probably won't meet a person that hasn't seen Men with Brooms. Uh, But did you have any familiarity with Men with Brooms? Uh, Did Mallory ever talk to you about this
0: movie? Has she ever seen it? Um, No and no. Uh, As far as I know, Mallory had (laughs) had not seen it. Uh, She had one reaction to this, which I'll talk about, because it's right at the very beginning of the episode. But, yeah, I... I think you mentioned it, as you said, during our Olympics month that we were doing a couple of years ago, which can I just actually, just on a real side tangent, did you know there's actually an Olympic movie out right now? Did you, have you heard about this movie that's out right now? What? It's, um... Which one? Oh, I need to find the name of it. It's ba- it's called Olympic Dreams. It is the, apparently the first ever movie to ever be filmed during the Olympics and in the Olympic Village. It seems like a cheesy love story, like it's a romantic comedy, But it is actually... It was filmed during Pyeongchang in 2018. So it's got all official Olympics. And it popped up the other day. I watched the trailer. It looks like something that Jamie and Mallory would like and you and I would cringe at, but... (laughs) It it looks fascinating because it was filmed during the Pyeongchang Olympics as the first official film to ever be filmed during Olympic games. So anyway, side tangent. Got a movie for twenty twenty. We got a movie for twenty twenty two. All right. I I completely forgot to tell you about that, but this is on the topic. But um, yeah. No, I not heard of it. (laughs) Basically. So, but as I I joked, I think was it last week or the week before that the two Canadian movies you you chose had to be on ice hockey and curling. So it kind of makes sense, (laughs) really. Yeah,
1: yeah, and uh, the. The history of this movie... Well, I'll go back before getting into how the movie came together and just talk about the star, Paul Gross, because um, in Canada, this is our one bankable movie star. You know, he's only made a handful of movies. He's he's a guy who uh, became famous probably later in his career, I guess later in his life. He was well into his 30s, and there was a TV show that uh, was made on CTV here in Canada, which is one of our national networks, called Due South. And this show uh, got a good enough response just from the pilot that one of the American networks, it was either ABC or CBS or something like that, said, we're going to pick up this show and air it at the same time, which at that time had never happened before. There were Canadian TV shows that might get aired in reruns. Uh, there were Canadian shows that you know would be aired in syndication. But for a major network to say, we're going to put this on our fall schedule and air it simultaneously with the Canadian, that, that had never happened before. I think the only times it's happened since then... Uh, the TV show's Flashpoint, and then Saving Hope. Uh, but this show did okay in its first season. Uh, I think CBS decided to pick it up for a limited number of episodes in the second season, but basically canceled the show. But it was popular enough here in Canada that they kept this thing going for five years. And then uh, the the fan base in America eventually caught on to this, and they would start releasing episodes you know, in syndication or whatever. But the premise of that show was... Basically, uh, the, the main star of this movie, Men with Brooms, Paul Gross, played a Mountie who was working in America. Uh, and it was a lot about the differences between the U.S. and Canada. It, it played up much on the Dudley Do-Right things. I mean, it, it sort of was geared more to an older audience. I was way too young to really care about the show at the time. But again, I was very familiar with it. And when Men with Brooms started being advertised, everybody knew that's the guy from Due South. So Paul Gross was probably the closest thing we had to a major star where he said... I want to make this movie. And for the first time ever, Canadian movie studios are like, we'll give you a couple millions of dollars to make this and not let's give you, you know, uh, $38 and uh, a tax credit or something. Uh, so this movie had a huge budget and a ton of promotion put into it going in. And even since this movie's come out, you know, when Paul Gross says he wants to make a movie, he gets it made. So w- when this movie was originally in development, he, funny enough, he wanted it to be about hockey. And I only read this recently, but his idea about this small town that was going to be revived by this former team getting back together in honor of their coach or whatever, uh, was supposed to be about hockey. But then the more he started digging into it, he's like, you know, there's too much politics to go along with hockey, too many rules. Um, He also wanted something that was more distinctly Canadian, which seems strange you could find something more distinctly Canadian than hockey. uh, But something that this is our sport, and I guess at the time, 2002 – you know, it had just debuted in the Olympics. It wasn't like curling was big anywhere other than Canada. So he decided to make it a curling movie instead. But it is funny that I think I mentioned the same thing, you know, on the Bon Cop, Bad Cop episode. It never occurred to me I picked a movie that dealt with – it was a buddy cop film that dealt with hockey. And then I picked a curling movie. But that is the the most obvious Canadian things ever. And, and – here we have two of the highest grossing Canadian movies And yeah, coincidentally they just happen to be about hockey and curling
0: Which makes me happy Because, you know, I love your country I'm about to move to your country And two of the things that get me most excited about your country Are hockey and curling Because I've always mm-hmm. loved hockey But curling is one of these, you know, fascinating things to me As a, an Australian that you just never see Even more so than hockey So, yeah um, I mean, this was a an interesting movie to me um, It's... I I, I watched this very late last night. We had some friends over and basically they went home and then I was like, fuck, I'm going to watch this movie. So Mallory had gone to bed. Again, I don't think she had seen it, but kind of watching this movie. And I don't know if I picked the best time to watch it by that because I was actually really tired. So about halfway through this movie, I was falling asleep and it wasn't because of the movie. I was just tired. So, of course, when you're tired and you're like, oh, I've got to keep watching this movie. I, don't, I won't have time to watch it before we record tomorrow. You're constantly looking at the timestamp. You're like, oh, fuck, I've still got like 40 minutes to go. Oh, i it's still got 30 minutes to go. And it's kind <laughs> of, when you're watching a movie that you're finding strange as well, it's kind of a bit of a stretch. So I'm actually really excited mm-hmm. to do this episode because... You know, it's not like Bon Cop, Bad Cop. I'd seen it before. I knew what to expect. And even on a second watch, you're kind of like, okay, well, you can see this, you can see that, but I still enjoy it. Because this is definitely one never having seen before, enjoying it at a weird time and definitely finding some issues, but then not wanting to say this is an issue. Because as we talked about, I think last week, you know, we're so used to a certain type of film by watching American movies that when we watch an Australian or a Mm -hmm. Canadian or something like that, they're different styles of movies. So, I don't know where I'm going with this point. The point is, uh, I found this movie interesting. <laughs> I like curling, and Paul Gross <laughs> seems like a nice guy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who he, he is. I'm sorry, Canada. I, I, I will learn more about him you wouldn't... before I enter your yeah. country. <laughs> I'm sure you know
1: Americans who were alive and maybe old enough to care in the mid to late 90s would recognize him oh there was that tv show with the mountie due south um other than that if you're not canadian you won't know who he is and even in recent years i mean he, he really slowed down his men with brooms you know was him at his peak and then after that he's like i'm just gonna work when i feel like and he got more involved creatively as far as like producing and writing stuff but he's even directed a couple movies since then but it's just always been weird to me that this is like the only box office draw we really have you know there's Another movie which I, I thought today about doing for you know possibly next year, uh, off the success of Men with Brooms, suddenly all these studios said, "Well, let's start sinking some money into Canadian movies. Let's start making things that are fun." And one of the ones that was made was actually probably Ryan Reynolds' first real starring role. So he was known in America, you know, had had some supporting roles and stuff like that, but was not a big enough name that he was going to turn down, uh, you know, uh, producers in Canada saying will make you the star of a heist movie, and he made this heist movie called Foolproof, and it just didn't live up to the success of this movie. But it's interesting what you're saying about, you know, it's an interesting movie, because I did see this when it first came out. I enjoyed it. It wasn't one of these things where, like, I've got to see that again. You know, it's been probably 10 years since even the second time I watched this movie, but I think so much has changed in movies, and I'm not saying this in the most positive way. I'm actually saying this, you know, maybe in slight defense of the movie, but also in a bit of a negative way, but to me, it's weird that this is an R-rated comedy, because I feel like that he Paul Gross is a little bit ahead of the time on this genre, and again, just showing his star power that he could say, I want to make a mainstream movie, but sorry, I'm gonna make it R-rated, and nobody was fighting him on it, whereas this could have easily been done as a PG 13 movie and got a big even bigger audience. But if you look at the time this came out, two thousand and two, we're still a year away from Old School coming out, and really there wasn't a such thing as R-rated comedies around this time period. You know, you did have in the eighties, there were like raunchy sex comedies and stuff, but it, it died in the nineties, and even in the early two thousands, and even after Old School, we really have nothing until the Hangover movies, and now it's such a big deal. But there's there's a real imbalance to this movie that I yeah. noticed, where they're trying. To go raunchy at times, they're trying to go really shocking with some of the jokes, and then other times they're like, oh, it's just going to be a feel-good romantic comedy, and then, oh, it's going to be a you know, your typical generic sports movie, whereas I, I feel like if Paul Gross were to make this same movie now knowing that audiences would accept a hard R-rated movie – it probably would have turned out completely different, probably been more in line with something like The Hangover. But I, I could c- kind of feel now, looking back on this, I see what he was going for, but he probably wasn't gutsy enough to do it at this point in
0: time because that's not what people expected out of comedies. Just quickly before I comment on that, um, just I'm looking at Paul Gross's filmography here, and I kind of am intrigued here about a 2004 miniseries he was in called H2O, uh, which has him and Leslie Hope from 24 in it. And basically the plot... Oh, yeah, I vaguely remember that. The plot, in the midst of negotiations with the United States Secretary of State, the Prime Minister of Canada dies in a canoeing accident. Unsolved. Mm-hmm. I want to watch this. <laughs> 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 I, I'm <Yeah>. in. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like I said, I vaguely remember it, but yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think it's it's a very good point because like that's maybe one of my things here. We're watching this movie. And again, knowing this is a Canadian movie, this isn't a Hollywood movie, different styles, but it did have a very weird tone and imbalance and i just found myself throughout this whole movie wondering just wondering about this movie of what's going on and and, because it's just done in a in a weird style and like you've got kind of some of these r-rated moments in it but then to me they when you feel like they're really going for something a bit more raunchy they just kind of tone it back and then there's just a lot of Mm -hmm. normal stuff in there And, and this is like i mean you talk about old school i mean american pie what three years before this and even that's, that's more of the teen-style mm-hmm. one, though, isn't it? Kind of, it wasn't yeah. really as full-on as Old School and the Hangover moving forward. But, yeah, I, I definitely see what you're saying. So, yeah, it's just, it suffered some strain. And, like, it's kind of also thinking about this as a sports movie because, you know, let's be honest, you, you know how it's going to end, <laughs> um, you know, from the <laughs> moment it starts because it's a sports movie. But even then with some of the sports movie tropes and, like, they go out of their way to, I think, try and explain curling to someone like, say, myself, who... I know what curling yeah. is, but I don't know the subtleties of curling, but even then they seem to kind of struggle with that at some points. Like you think, okay, yep, I'm getting it. And then they kind of go away from it and you're like, okay, now I'm confused. Um, and then it's just, and I didn't get the whole thing around this love triangle. Cause I don't think I could differentiate the sisters at all in this movie. <laughs> I just couldn't tell them. Like, wait, isn't that the one he's, he was getting married to that one? She's an astronaut now. and Hang on, she's an alcoholic. I didn't understand. <laughs> that. And then, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'm just not making sense of it because I'm Australian and don't get Canadian movies more so. But it was odd. It's just an odd tone to some of this movie, which is where I found, mm. find it a little bit weird in points.
1: Uh, the other important thing about this, like, the, the cast is very big uh, – I guess here in Canada, you're going to recognize a lot more of these people. uh But even some of the you, you mentioned the sisters. I'm actually kind of surprised you, being such a huge House of Cards fan, that you had a trouble telling them apart because Molly Park, who plays the alcoholic sister, had a huge role on House of Cards. um What did she come into like season three, maybe, or maybe even earlier? Maybe it was season two? Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you don't even recognize her from House of Cards? I have to. The whole time I spent watching this movie going, I know this woman, and I saw that she was in House mm-hmm. of Cards, and I'm like, legitimately going, like, oh, who is she in House of Cards? And I looked it up, and like, I do remember her face, but, I mean, look, it's been a while since I've seen yeah. those seasons. so She's also now probably even more successful on the,
1: the new Lost in Space TV show um, I playing Maureen the Mom. Yeah, and, and that's a really great show too, and they've really made her the star of that. that or, or you know, it's her and Toby Stevens, so you got to check it out. But uh, Toby a lot of these, um, I, yeah, <laughs> he's still alive. It's just a bit lost, um, sp-
0: lost in space,
1: Miranda. <laughs> <laughs> but but there are a couple of actresses here. I'm going to be curious if you either looked it up and knew because there are some people here we've talked about in other movies before.
0: They definitely look familiar. Uh, one, there was two, a couple two, that definitely one. look familiar. Yeah. Okay.
1: All right, so when we get to them, I'll introduce them here. But Leslie Nielsen would be the other big one. Oh, yeah. And uh, that also is a big deal because it, it's, it's totally different now. Now, with Canadian movies, you will have big name American actors or British actors or whatever who will say, Oh, there's this Canadian movie. Yeah, I'll do that because it sounds like it's a really good movie. So, you know, it, it's not unheard of to get a bigger name star. Now, Leslie Nielsen is Canadian. He's from Saskatchewan, of all places, Saskatchewan. Oh, man. Uh, but uh, he had spent his entire career obviously working in America and become hugely successful. Uh, It's weird, a guy of Leslie Nielsen's age to basically say he was just coming off of the prime of his career at this point. Uh, you know, Because the Naked Gun movies in the 90s, obviously, Uh, he'd done other stuff, wrongfully accused, Dracula didn't love it. I mean, he he was so big in like satire, you know, parody comedies. Uh, And then for them to land him, again, was a huge deal at this time. But I think even just also for Leslie Nielsen, you know, I'm very surprised watching this movie even now for the third time and being like, he's a very good actor. He's not just funny, he's a good actor, and I could see what the appeal was for him at the time to say, you know what, I'm still getting starring roles in America, but here's an opportunity to actually do a little bit of acting and still be funny, and I could see why he did that, but that, he's all over the posters, even though it is a decent sized supporting role, but he's not one of the main guys in this movie, but that that was huge just as far as getting this movie, you know, all the publicity it got, I guess that combination of him, Paul Gross, but yeah, I I can already tell some of the the issues you have with this that I picked up on this time as well, uh, but we might as well just get into it here. Uh, we just talked about your history with this film going twenty four hours back. It's a long history. Um, <laughs> I am curious. <laughs> I am curious. Said Mallory went to bed to see uh you know what she picked
0: up on. She woke up in the middle of this movie. Well, no, it's it's literally but, the uh, opening scene here that you're like just, like she'd gone to bed basically as soon as I pressed play. And this song that starts playing at the beginning, this, what is it like? Oh, boom, okay. um, boom, chitty, boom, or whatever it is, talking about beavers and shit. And she's like, she's like, I know this song! And then she starts singing it. <laughs> like, is this like a Canadian well, song? I don't even know it? that song. What is it? I don't no. know. She just started singing it. And it was like, boom, chitty, boom, 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 boom beaver, or something like that. Like, I don't, I'm thinking like, is this some like... Chanty song they've made for this movie Because I'm seeing like a weird CGI beaver And stuff like that But she knew it Well there's there's a plenty of songs In this movie that most
1: Canadians Probably would know That's not the one I was thinking of But okay <laughs> uh, uh, Anyway, so this movie does start with a beaver <laughs> Let's make it even more Canadian But the funny thing is like A lot of these things that are going to sound to people who aren't Canadian Like oh what a Canadian stereotype It's just Played so straight here because in Canada it's not more like the beaver. Eh? It's a Canadian national. <laughs> We're just like, yeah, you, you see a beaver, you know, it's on the side of the river. It's it's like you with kangaroos, yeah, like exactly. It's not impressive for you to be a kangaroo. Not Same at all. Same with the beaver. No, no, kangaroos uh, is
0: there. There it is. Oh, it's on my plate. What's that? Say? Yeah, mm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we get the
1: CGI beaver here making kind of funny face, and the opening scene is. Uh, the setup for the entire plot, which is an old or a, the daughter uh, of an old man digging this curling rock out of water, and he looks very excited to see it, and he dies on the spot. Um, so uh, we we pretty much go straight to his funeral after this point, or uh, oh no, b- before we go to the funeral, I, do they have the? I'm already getting lost here. <laughs> do they have the funeral or the the will reading before
0: this or after? And the will reading, like you see the funeral. And then the wheel reading, because he's narrating this whole, like, you're kind of hearing him saying, yeah. and then I think that it sort of ends with him seeing on the screen at the end of it, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of narration here, which I'm going to pick up on uh, later on, too, and I kind of have a theory about, but uh, throughout the funeral here, there's the first, I guess, the, the big... You know, whoa! This is where this is the type of comedy this movie is, and then the movie sort of goes in a different direction, where he's in the coffin and they're trying to lower this thing, and it stands up, and he's pulling out of the coffin, and the the, the teammates the guys here they're trying to force him back into the coffin. Uh, it's setting up like this is going to be a you know maybe slightly more mature Mr. Bean episode, but that's not exactly <laughs> the way the movie's going to go. Um, we learn that there's. Uh, I guess all the different team members here, the main one being Paul Gross' his character, who's come back, and that he left the coach, the dead guy. He left uh, his daughter at the altar. And, He's um, the
0: astronaut, right? Uh, he left the astronaut the at the astronaut, altar.
1: Yeah, the astronaut, yeah. Now, the two sisters here, I already mentioned Molly Parker, who plays the alcoholic sister, who hasn't been introduced yet. Uh, she's obviously a big deal on House of Cards and Lost in Space now. Uh, the other sister, the astronaut, Michelle Nolden, she's... Um, Become more successful, I guess. In the last couple of years, again, very late in her career here in Canada, do the TV show Saving Hope that you know Rossi and I covered a couple episodes of back in the the summer. Uh, stars Erica Durance, who was Lois on Smallville, and Michael Shanks, who we mentioned last week, the the other guy from Stargate, he yes. mentioned. Uh, but the, it's it's their show, and it's kind of a supernatural medical drama. And uh, she was kind of a guest star in the first two seasons. And you didn't really think anything of her. And then they bring her in as a main character in like the third, fourth, and fifth seasons and literally becomes the best thing about the show. So uh, I completely forgot she was ever in this movie because at the point I'd seen this, she was sort of playing the more boring of the two sisters. And, you know, obviously had never done Saving Hope, but she's gone on to a lot of success since then. Uh, So she was left at the altar. And uh, this is where we we catch up to the will reading here. And uh, the the dad uh, who died is basically... Putting together, I want this team to reunite to win the Golden Broom. So the Golden Broom is, I guess, supposed to be you know, the trophy of some regional curling tournament. I don't know if it's provincial or just a regional thing, but it's a big curling tournament. And he wants his remains, uh, his um, what do you call it, where they burn the dead body, Cremate, <laughs> cremated remains, cremated, ashes. Yes. <laughs> Of all things for me to struggle with here, um, the cremated remains to be placed inside this curling rock that he dug out of the water. And uh, he wants them to put this, you know, uh, right on the button in the middle of the golden broom so he could win. And uh, we we catch up with all of the other teammates here. So uh, of the, I'll, I'll go through each one individually here. We have Neil, who's married to a very strict woman. <laughs> uh <laughs> And that's sort of his introduction here is she just keeps telling, no, you're not going to do this. You're not going to do this. And she keeps saying, pass the beats, pass the beats, and nobody's passing the beats. Uh, and one of his kids asks him, uh, you know, what happens when you die? Well, some believe that you go to a place in the hereafter. Uh, others know that, you, you know, what is his line here? Uh, you just get married. Like that's death. <laughs> his marriage is death. So he's obviously in a very unhappy marriage. Uh, and his wife here, the actress Carrie Matchett, she's uh, done a lot of stuff you know, before and after this. Um, last year when we did our top 50 TV shows, she is on two of my TV shows on that list. The one which is a show called Power Play, which was a short-lived Canadian show about hockey, uh, behind the scenes of hockey. She was one of the stars of that. And then later went on to do the, the spy TV show Covert Affairs, which also made my list. So uh, again, exciting to watch this and forget that she was ever in this movie. Uh, but then we get the, uh, next guy, which is, uh, Lennox, and this is the actor that I don't know if you recognize him, but you should, because we've covered him before, uh, but he's with his girlfriend in bed, and, uh, he's explaining curling to her and drawing a diagram on her belly with her lipstick, and, uh, in in the middle of this, there's a noise from the bathroom, And he opens up the door and there's a guy in there, which we later find out is a drug dealer. And he just closed the door and he's like, Oh sir, I forgot to tell you about him in there. It's like, how did you forget to tell me about the 400 pounds of defecating menace of a man? (laughs) I will give this movie credit for one thing. Like even though the, the humor and the tone is very unbalanced, the lines they come up with are very clever ways of delivering lines, like 400 pounds of defecating menace of man. That's pretty good. Uh, but did you recognize this actor at all or is this not even the ones you, you thought you spotted?
0: Uh I mean I'm looking at it now who he is. Uh so that yeah. surprises me who actually he is. Like, wow. Um but mm-hmm. no, I like again he I looked at him and I'm like, he looks familiar. Like he him and the other guy who's trying to get his wife pregnant, both of them I'm like I've seen them in mm-hmm. something before. But um he's is he really Yusuf Gruel in, in Cool Runnings? Like, That's Really. <laughs> The villain
1: from Cool Runnings. Wow. <laughs> and, and and again, it's funny because I know this movie. Um, I know him from Cool Runnings, obviously. I know the actor. And I wasn't even putting the two things together. So when I'm watching the, the, the credits for this, I'm seeing the actor's name, Peter Outerbridge. I'm like, oh, I know him. What's he been in? And I'm looking it up. I'm like, Cool Runnings. But I spent half of this movie being like, so is he this guy or is he somebody else? Because he's totally unrecognizable in this movie, playing like a sleazy Drug dealer
0: here. Well, that's uh, that's but, like yeah. um, the guy who plays Yul Brenner in Cool Runnings. We discovered he's in Designated Survivor. Mm-hmm. He plays like one of the um, yeah, and he looks nothing like him. Like every time I see him on yeah, exactly Designated, I'm like, that is not that is not him, and it is so yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it, it, even late into this movie, I'm like, am I sure? Did they mix up the names and IMDb or something? But no, that's him. Uh, and then uh, this 400 pounds of defecating menace of man. <laughs> Uh, burst out of the bathroom, we get a little bit of a fight going on uh, Chris which is Paul Gross's character is in the next room a fist even comes through the wall uh, he's like oh, what is it lover's quarrel it like, no business dispute uh, they end up overpowering this man which we find out is a, a drug dealer that um, Lennox owes some money to and uh, we um, get the scene where they've thrown him in the back of the car this is a Canadian thing it really is a Canadian thing not even Quebec throw them in the trunk of the car <laughs> two movies and we've seen this happen uh, a police officer stops them, can clearly tell there's something bouncing in the trunk, and they just keep it oh, it's the shocks. Uh, and then when Chris goes later on to knock this guy out again with the curling rock as they're trying to dispose of a live body, uh, he was. oh, it's just the muffler. And I was like, oh, you better get that fixed. Uh, this this police officer, this is She's one of those things. so Canadian. Like, Come on, Colin, give...
0: give me Canadian. Oh, you yes. eh? <laughs> <laughs> better get that
1: fixed, eh? Better get that fixed, eh? Uh, but, uh like, she's given this role in the movie. This this won't even be her last scene. She's got three or four scenes in this movie, and you're like, was this meant to be a bigger character, and it just all got cut out? Like, I really want to see a director's cut of this. Uh, but they're just debating whether they should reform the team or not. Um, the, the giant wakes up, as they say. <laughs> uh, they ha- have a little bit of a deal with the car. They take him up. I think this is a ship. Or something like that They're trying to climb up to dump him off a ship He ends up landing on a scaffold And ends up on a boat to who knows where And that's pretty much the end of him for a while uh, They're all reunited at the arena And we find out it's 10 years Since Chris walked out on the team So this is we're starting to find out What happened to this rock that was thrown in the water Why did this team disband And they said he burnt the rock, which means he had touched a rock or a rock was touched. The curling rock was touched in the middle of the game, which is against the rules. And he didn't say he saw it, which is sort of like, you know, a thing about fair play or whatever. You know, even if you made the mistake, you have to call. This isn't hockey where it's like you just hope they don't catch you on a penalty. And if they do, you argue it and then you punch a referee. No, here, even the people who screw up are obligated to say, I screw up. So he was so ashamed of this that he threw the rock in the lake. Uh, there's a little bit here where Lennox decides he wants to set the rock on fire and, uh, explodes the rock, um, and, uh, they they basically talk about the dad having this very elaborate plan, uh, to get the team back together, uh, but they do agree that they're going to put the team back together here, which is basic setup for the movie here. Uh, again, I completely get (laughs) very, uneven tone here but still I think some really clever stuff like I love the thing with the the, the drug dealer or whatever in the trunk of the car maybe that is just a Canadian thing uh, but we also have the setup for a pretty generic sports movie here so the movie is all over the place I understand that but I, I like some of the stuff in here still.
0: I think with it being all over the place too so many of these sh- scenes are just so short and then it's kind of yeah it's just short sharp to the point let's move on and then it's kind of like we won't talk about that again and a lot of them have no music. There's like, is there really any score in this movie or anything like that? Like, it kind of it feels a bit strange. Um, and again, like that's not to make light of this movie. It's a it's a Canadian movie. I'm not used to this style. But even you having you know probably seen more American movies than Canadian movies, it is kind of like it's it's mm-hmm. done differently. Um, but I mean, yeah, like this whole drug dealer thing's fun, but it's just it's just so random. And then it's just kind of they get pulled over by this cop who. Because we needed a lesbian cop side story at some point. (laughs) Sure. Um, Which, like in all
1: fairness, we find it later, she's lesbian or whatever. You know, now we look at this, we're like, oh, okay, they throw that in all movies. But this is 2002. I mean, even in Canada, where it's, you know, not nearly as conservative as we get in, you know, American movies... This still was like, oh, you haven't seen that in a Canadian movie before.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I was thinking that. That was kind of like, you know, a bit ahead of its time. With, with like, the sisters, like, this is where just, again, they look so similar. Like, they, they did really well in the casting. Do they movie. really? I think they do. Because, like, one's got curly hair, one's got straight hair. And I kept getting them <laughs> confused. Because, like, and again, this is maybe, I don't know if this is just me being dumb or it's not paint, painted clear enough. But like, cause yeah, I got confused with which one's which. Cause it's like, okay, so he left one at the altar, but then there's another one who he's kind of flirting with, uh, mm-hmm. and then it's like, okay, uh, so you know, I just I just got confused with who they were trying to imply he was going to end up with. So that's yeah, I don't know. I just got I got really confused about it. Um, and then like when he also goes to see like his dad briefly, and then he doesn't go and see his dad because he's what he's been digging for oil for 10 years in 70 different countries or something like that um okay I also did you get confused when um the other guy's trying to get pregnant did you think they're having a fight on the bed is that (laughs) were you confused there Um, yes, yes still messing me up even two weeks later. <laughs> but it's like even then like you talk about like the tone of this movie because like we kind of just cut to this scene of this woman on her hands and knees with something sticking out of her. I thought it was a butt and I'm like, huh, what's going on here? And then all of a sudden like oh okay they're trying for a baby um, and it's just like they just like have sex or have a fight, whatever Colin thinks. and then it's like we cut then straight away to this other motel. Um and then and that woman on the bed who's got curling drawn on her is that the one who ends up with the married guy in the end is that the same woman yeah it is okay right yeah can
1: you just not tell Canadian women apart they all look the same yours at Mallory's (laughs) wedding are you gonna grab one of the bridesmaids Uh, I take you Mallory to be probably you have
0: Jamie up there and Jamie's like what are you doing Ben (laughs) you're not Chris Underwood Uh, (laughs) but. Yeah, it's just it's kind of you know, and I, I do I I do like this fight with the drug dealer, like you know, oh, what did you say? It's like, um, lovers quarrel, no oh, business uh, arrangement or something. Business <laughs> yeah. And this is so I just looked this up. So this is set in a place called, um, was it Long Bay? Long Bay. So this is meant yeah. to be in Ontario, Um uh, mm-hmm. which I thought was this like meant to be in like Saskatchewan or some random, you know, like. Winnipeg. Uh, this, this is actually, <laughs> it's actually Winnipeg. That's the size of the city. Everything looks the same. Um, but, but it's even like with this whole setup, because like this is kind of like the explaining of curling rules. I think like you know, is it Joseph or Yusuf Grul? Did I mispronounce that before? Um, Joseph Grul. Yusuf. Yusuf. Yeah. Joseph. Mister Grul. Uh, when he's yeah. <laughs> doing the whole lipstick thing. And he's trying to explain, like, oh, okay, cool, you know, this is really going to explain some subtleties of curling for me. I'm like, okay, I don't really get it. And then even this scene when they've got the whole curling rock on fire and it's like, you touched the stone but didn't say anything. Like, I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the most Canadian of things. Like, oh, even if you break the rules, there, yeah, you still be nice and see that you did, okay? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and then, like, he left because of the shame of not being honest. <laughs> like... <laughs> Canadian, I love it
1: uh, <laughs> we don't think that's weird here <laughs> you, you dishonest Australians
0: it's like, so so you should go away and dig for oil for 10 years we, we had a thing here in Australia where our players in cricket got caught tampering the ball they got caught and banned for a year and still right. like full on on camera view and still Australia's like nah mate, nah we didn't do anything wrong mate bloody ass, what are you talking about, other countries do it too um, Video's you... been doctored, okay? <laughs> you Canadian. Oh, he slightly touched the curling <laughs> stone. Oh, no. <laughs> I like, that's that's what's kind of funny about this is we realize there's
1: certain things that are just simply different here you know like i said i don't think it's weird that we have these two movies about curling and hawking because that's what you see i don't think it's weird to see a beaver at the beginning <laughs> it never occurred to me that that could be perceived as this is what the big drama is he
0: left because of this but it's like yeah it makes sense to me and yet you think about stereotypical australian movies crocodile dundee we're like yeah it's not you know whatever a man hunts crocodiles that's fine that's normal yeah, yeah, exactly. like, what the hell is that man doing <laughs>
1: Is he having sex with that animal? <laughs>
0: <But> <laughs> even this speech that um, Paul Gross—I don't know any of the characters' names, by the way—so you know, I really paid that much. Attention. <laughs> you don't need to, but um, but Paul Gross is like, I, you know, his inspirational speech here of, you know, I've been to seventy-nine countries and I've found five continents, and I've never found as much relaxation as seeing a stone go across a sheet of ice. Like it's kind of, mm-hmm. I like it because like this is very sports movie, isn't it? You know, it's kind of. Yeah, You know, I've been away. It's it's always the guy who had the chance to be successful and all this sort of stuff. But uh, but again, this is where just the tone of this kind of feels weird because you feel like, okay, this is really getting into like sports movie territory. He's going to come back and they're going to, you know, have this and do so well. But I just feel that like it, it doesn't quite live up to some of the tropes. It shows them, but then it doesn't or it's too quick with them and it kind of just goes all over the place. And this is just where... It is a bit odd with some of the way they do this, because even the shot when he's kind of there and he goes on the ice and he you know, puts the curling stone down and it stops in the middle and it's all like, yeah, he's still got it. Go, Paul Gross. But then you (laughs) kind of don't really feel that for the rest of the movie. Uh, It's strange. And then is this when they're naked and they jump off a cliff? That's the
1: next scene, yeah. Yeah,
0: so like it's kind of okay, and they've all got beavers tattooed. Is that ever explained? This whole beaver thing—is that was that their team or like what? What is this beaver tattoo on them?
1: Oh, I mean, I think it's because they live by this river where there are a bunch of beavers, and maybe that's maybe that's their their city's you know
0: mascot or something. So everyone in Canada has a tattoo of a beaver because you all live near rivers with beavers in them. (laughs) Only if you. Well, only if you live near the beavers. Yes. Right. Okay. Those in Saskatchewan have none. Right. Leslie Nielsen does not have one. <laughs> did, did Jamie appreciate naked bum men here, or is you know they're not? No. You know what? I was excited to
1: show this to her. I mean, not that sounds bad. I, I was <laughs> excited Jamie to show some naked men. But you know, she's so into the shirtless. I didn't think she'd be into it. But Paul Gross, like. This is just my opinion. He's like the Canadian Pierce Brosnan. I mean, this is like the most handsome man you've ever seen, and he's just charming, and he's he's nice, cool guy and everything. And she had no time to watch this movie with me. Oh. So um, maybe I'll go back to show her just to see what she thinks, but... Uh...
0: Yeah, she missed that part. That's a big call. Canada's Pierce Brosnan, coming from a country with, what, every sexy Ryan in the history of the world. Like, you know, like... <laughs> oh, come on. Paul Gross over Ryan Reynolds or Ryan Gosling? A Ryan NBA. Gosling, 100%. I mean, God, if, you know, he, anyone's attract- <laughs> more attracted than a thumb. But, I don't know, Ryan Reynolds is pretty, you know. He'd, he'd be... Ryan Reynolds would be Canada's Daniel Craig. And Ryan Gosling can be Canada's Lazenby. Oh, well, but Lazenby's good looking <laughs> Um, <laughs> Roger Moore Dalton Dalton No but Dal- oh, I don't know Dalton you has an age Dalton. well Dalton has an age well But but I don't want to say Roger Moore Because Roger Moore Has personality You know I don't imagine Ryan Gosling yeah. Going like A genuine Felix Leiter <laughs> oh, That's my Ryan Gosling Impersonation um, <laughs> By the way
1: oh. <laughs> too much, it
0: Too much enthusiasm In my voice there Sorry That's a bit
1: confusing <laughs> Uh, but the next scene here uh, this is one of the things that like was big in the trailers too where they're all introducing themselves was, I'm a drug dealer it's like Duh. they cut to the next guy I bury dead people Duh. cut to the next guy I have a single digit sperm count Duh. and I'm a naked cheater and this is where they jump off the cliff into the water uh, we get that line my gonads are forsaken me um, what do they say about like why, why we, they're doing you know, this direction
0: an or- and we can climb up the cliff or something like
1: that yeah <laughs> If we all get directions, we can form a ladder and climb the cliff. <laughs> um, but again, I, I think some of this stuff works. It's just – I'll address what you were saying about a lot of the quick scenes here because I took a ton of notes, and yet I'm like, you know, I, I, I need to take this note because that's the entire scene, you know? And I, I honestly believe that this is a movie that probably had a two-and-a-half to three-hour-long original cut. And I don't know whether this would have made it a better movie if it was long. Because I don't think this is a, oh, this is just a Canadian thing. I think this is a men with brooms thing where they probably were too ambitious. And the one thing that maybe Paul Gross did have pressure of or he just decided himself was, we need to deliver a movie that's an hour and 45 minutes, and that's it. Mm. Because from the police officer who has a subplot to two sisters to four guys on the team to the coach – to the villain, to the drug dealer. I mean, there are so many characters and so many little plots going on in this movie that nothing really gets the amount of time it needs. And everything that is here, I like all the characters here. I like all the little stories, but every scene is like 10 to 15 seconds long, and then they move on to something else. And yet, at the same time, the movie doesn't feel too fast-paced. It feels to me like this is going at a very natural pace. It's just there's so much going on here. so It's almost like... the only way I can really read this movie is like, this was a two and a half hour long movie and they had to cut so much stuff out, but just didn't want to say, I want to cut this character entirely. So in the end, we're left with a lot of these very quick scenes, uh, not even necessarily very quick scenes, just like a lot of quick transitions. Now we're on to something else and you just don't have enough time to breathe.
0: Yeah, I um, agree with that. I think, and like, like yeah, yeah. No, 100%, because I think like we talked about that in Bon Cop, Bad Cop. It's like, to me, that felt very much like a, a TV show, the way that was kind of edited yeah. and put together. But like, yeah, I see that. Like, definitely, I think they could have, done some long things because i'm with you i don't dislike any of the characters i think even if the ones i you know think are the same like they're all entertaining there's no bad characters no bad acting you kind of you connect with these characters i think which is obviously what you want in a movie but yeah there's just it's just something yeah with it actually just one thing speaking of the characters too um the guy who's married to the stuck-up wife um yeah is is she he he should have been cast as mark zuckerberg in the social network right like he looks like mark zuckerberg (laughs)
1: I wouldn't have thought that until you said it, but as soon as you said that, I get it. Yeah, because
0: yeah, the whole time I'm watching, going, who does he look like? Do I know him? Like, is something going on here? I'm like, Mark Zuckerberg. There we go. So the Canadian version of the social network, he will get that role. <laughs> uh,
1: and funny enough, just looking at his filmography, uh, he was also on Due South, probably not doing much on it, but uh, he's more the unknown guy. Uh, the other one, that, like you said, you recognized Eddie. He's the one who's trying to get his wife pregnant with the single-digit sperm
0: count. Uh, do you even pinpoint where you recognize him from? I, I want to say he looks like the... And, and actually, I've just looked at it. It is a guy. Never mind. I'm correct. The Galaxy Quest guy. So, yeah. Galaxy no. Quest. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking yes. Galaxy Quest and it is him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's yeah, in Dudley and... Do-Right. Is he? <laughs> he is. He I played again, LeVar. i never seen Dudley Do-Right. <laughs> uh, I get too excited yeah, like... for Dudley Do-Right. I'm sorry, Canada.
1: <laughs> I... Uh... He's the one I really wish we would have gotten more from. Because I think of all four of these guys, he's given the least to do. Uh, Or maybe it's just because his wife kind of outshines him at times. But, uh, you know, this this guy in Galaxy Quest was just hilarious. And here he almost has the most plain, ordinary character, whereas everybody else is given more quirky qualities. But... Uh, the team gets back together, and the first thing they do is uh, – or I guess before they do this, we have to mention uh, astronaut sister, who we have not yet found out is an astronaut, the one that Paul Gross left at the altar. Uh, she uh, – well, I, I, when they have this scene where they're um, – meet together, he wants to talk to her. He even said that when they are first introduced. And they're all completely say, I'm with you as far as being confused on the sisters because when they say you left my daughter at the altar – he's talking to her. Can I talk to you? She just says no and walks away. But then the very next thing he does is he's talking a lot to the other sister and they're not even clearly saying which one he left at the altar. So mm. I'm wondering, is she mad because it's her sister because he's clearly more into the other girl? They don't really make that clear. But here we finally get clarity. This is the one he left at the altar, the one from Saving Hope here. And uh, it's kind of this touchy scene and again, the tone very much shifts here, becomes more of a romance uh, but there is a lot of very subtle humor in this line here uh, where he's saying like, uh, oh, your dad loved you. I know he loved me. But what about you? And it says, I loved your dad too. And it's like, oh, what about me? You loved your dad. And it's like, no, you and me. Or, did you love your dad? No, did you love me? And it just goes on forever where he just can't get it out of uh, And they kind of have this you know, moment I guess not even completely making up yet, but they're, they're sort of hinting towards that. Uh, and They put their first game together, which is just a complete throwaway game against a bunch of old guys. Uh, So this is where um, they have the narration as they're trying to. The sisters are trying to explain the game to Drug Dealer's girlfriend here. Uh, And they're basically saying, hey, old guys, you know, they have the touch. They're saying, this is a curling thing. And uh, as they're going through the match here, uh, there's a lot of these cuts where there's narrations of the the two sisters explaining the rules of the game and i do think they do a pretty good job here but again that's from somebody who maybe understands curling i i don't think a lot of people would get this uh i don't remember if it was this scene or earlier on when they were explaining to the uh, drug dealer's girlfriend here that she says oh it's like shuttleboard." no you mean shuffleboard and no it's sort of but not really right uh but we get a bit of the explanation and our first um uh, thing here with the dispute of the team where Paul Gross is saying uh, right at the end, I just want you to tap their rock. He goes, okay, I'll tap it. And uh, Lennox, the drug dealer guy here, decides to throw the rock so hard, um, he, he he explodes the rock and he says, I tapped it with authority. Uh, we have the first hint towards Astronaut Sister being an astronaut, I guess, because they mentioned her going to two universities and she uses the phrase octogenarian. Uh, which means old guy, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> kind of odd, but I'm glad I learned a new word. And uh, I-, I love when the-, the old guy throws the rock here, and uh, it's going so slowly that he has time to waddle back to his walker, <laughs> steady his balance again just before it gets there. And um, uh, they they end up losing, of course, to the old guys. Uh, here we have Julie, astronaut sister, who is suddenly all over Paul Gross, who left her at the altar. Why? Uh, she hands him a tape. And we don't know why. So they listen to the tape in the car, and this is the dead guy, the father. This is what the movies... I start to realize how complex this movie really is. <laughs> the father, on this cassette tape, is giving them a little bit of paternal advice, and which is basically a pep talk. And there is, again, another funny moment in here, as they're sort of talking back to him when he gives some cryptic you know, message, like pep talk message here, from the dead, from the tape. And Paul goes, what does that mean? And then he's like, what that means, Chris, is he's responding to them even though they're... Uh, and they are driving the car. They run into a bunch of beavers blocking the road. Not unusual. <laughs> this, I will say, is unusual. You know, you'll, you'll see deer doing this. Not, not beavers, but uh, ducks here in Winnipeg. Geese. But um, the beavers are blocking it and uh, they decide this is an omen, Uh, it means we need a real coach, so we're going to get introduced to Leslie Nielsen here who again, they don't come out of their way and say this is Paul Gross's dad it sort of gets revealed throughout the scene Uh, he's running some type of manure farm and uh, he says, I just need to rub the thing sphincter, which is generating the manure and we slowly learn after this scene, after this thing just you know Basically, craps its guts out all over Leslie Nielsen's hand. Again, kind of a weird tone shift here. I think this would work a lot better if the whole movie committed to just being this outrageous, raunchy comedy. Uh, coming off of you know these heartfelt scenes, not so much. Uh, we go into his back room where he's got medicinal mushrooms growing everywhere. And this is where they drop that it's his dad. Uh he says, you know, oh, uh, you don't ever talk to me, you know, not since your mom died. He goes, well, we're not talking about mom. I just talk about you coaching us. So Leslie Nielsen agrees, the dad here, Paul Gross, he's going to be their coach. And here's where we get the uh, iconic trailer shot, the teaser trailer, where they're walking in slow motion on the ice, you know, very dramatic, lights flashing. Uh, and we have the Tragically Hip song, Poets playing. Uh, the Tragically Hip are going to be very important for an upcoming joke, but if you're not Canadian... You're not going to understand how big they are. Basically the equivalent of the Beatles or the Rolling Stones in Canada. And that's no joke. Like biggest band in history in Canada could sell out stadiums till the day they died. And the lead singer did die with brain cancer, decided to go on one last tour. There's something I want to do for the the Canada month coming up. They filmed their final tour. It was literally the biggest deal in music history in Canada. And one of their best songs, Poet's playing here as uh, they're all walking dramatically. And then we get Eddie slowly slipping on the ice, which is a brilliant shot. Like, I don't care how unbalanced this movie is. That is a fantastic joke there with him very, very slowly slipping and falling on the ice. Um, and uh, we we, throughout, we get a little bit of their practices. And they disrupt the practice because Eddie, his wife, tells him that it's time to conceive. So they just leave the door open as he takes about ten seconds to attempt to knock up his wife and even they're, comes they're back and he says colon, it's not,
0: they're not fighting.
1: They, they, they have a very big fight in there. <laughs> it only lasted ten seconds. <laughs> he even backs up that it's a fight when he says it's not the size of the army, it's the fury of its onslaught. <laughs> so that means he must have won this fight, right?
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, we get a little bit we get a little bit more of his story here, finally getting introduced, as his wife saying, What about donor sperm? Uh, they debate who they could pick on the team. Chris, no, Chris is too Chris, you know. <laughs> like, definitely not Lennox, and oh, oh you, you know about Neil. Um, and uh, then we get Neil, who's the guy with a very aggressive wife, uh, who is coming out, and now all of a sudden he's met drug dealer's girlfriend. And uh, he says something about I could blow a gasket, and she says I'm a gasket, or maybe it was the other way around. The other way around. Uh, yes. I think, was, uh, <laughs> yeah, she's. I could blow a gasket. He goes, I'm a gasket. <laughs> um, That's a sex joke. And, Colin. Uh, yeah, I get it. Okay, <laughs> I've caught on now. Good. <laughs> Von Cop Bad Cop taught me the birds and the bees. <laughs> uh, he goes home, and we get we get the wife who's. Clearly having an affair on him, this is another... I think Paul Gross is at its best when he's doing these visual gags. Like, as a director, he's very good with the visual jokes here. Uh, his wife is clearly having an affair. He walks in the door. She basically tells the guy, get out the back. And then as he walks in, her first response to him is like, where were you? What were you doing? <laughs> it's like the jealous wife... As in the background, during this entire conversation, we see the guy jumping over their bushes, climbing over their kid's slide, trying to get away half-dressed. It's a really hilarious moment. Um, and uh, uh, I have no idea whoever wrote my notes here. Uh, something about it might be permanent? What is that? Um, was, oh, okay, so Leslie Nielsen, yeah. Uh, oh, again, very quickly. Yeah. yeah, this is not me rushing through the scenes. These scenes are legit. 30 seconds long, they move on to something else. Uh, So, Leslie Nielsen's trying to teach them something, and uh, he throws the rock, which, of course, in curling, you're basically on one knee with your other foot still on the ground, and he says, how's my form? It's like, it's good. Good, because it might be permanent, (laughs) because he can't get up. Uh, And we get a shot of him. Now he's doing physiotherapy, so alcoholic sister, Molly Parker, she is some type of water physiotherapist, I guess? And I love the insults he throws at her here, uh, where he says, You're the Saddam Hussein physiotherapy. Or no, what did did you go to the Saddam Hussein school of physio? (laughs) Uh, And there's a flirtatious moment here where she, uh, you know, swims to the side of the pool and Chris is there and they're kind of flirting even though he broke up with her sister. And when she decides to go back to dad to do some more physio, uh, he says something about uh, uh, she looks like a woman but – If she catches you, you know you're in the clutches of the spawn of Satan. (laughs) Very clever lines. Uh, Not all jokes land, though. Um, And then uh, we have another scene with Paul Gross and Julie, the astronaut sister, uh, where she's angry in the car with him, and then all of a sudden they're having sex. uh, Or fighting. I still can't tell. Sex. Sex. Thank you. I need clarification from now on. Uh, an alcoholic sister sees this from the window, so what happens? The next thing we see, she is at the window of the drug dealer, uh, his motel room, waving a bottle around, so she's off the wagon now, and she's sleeping with the drug dealer. Uh, Paul Gross finds this. (laughs) This is really absurd the more I talk about it. (laughs) He brings her back home. Um, sobers her up, he's a nice guy. Uh, I don't know. Let's just stop here so I can
0: catch my breath. There's so much going on here. Lots to talk about, though. I think um, when it comes to this movie with the curling aspect, and and this is maybe where it doesn't necessarily work that much as a sports movie, is, I mean, you as Canadians, again, you obviously would get it. You're used to curling. But, like, again, for me, who doesn't know the subtleties, and there's obviously a lot of subtleties to curling to understand kind of how Mm -hmm. it works. Is that like so? When we've got this scene against the old guys, it's kind—it's kind of confusing. It's kind of like okay, so the whole point is they've got to get this in the center, fine, but you can get a rock and smash it, and then the chunks there, and <laughs> like it's not like, like American football is a sport that I don't fully they understand. They the rules, yeah. Like I mean, but I can watch, you know, uh, remember the Titans or the Water Boy or something like that about American football. I still understand that the point of the game is, well, you've got to get the most points and get a touchdown, and that's generally what you're going to need to do. They can make it a movie-esque movie to make it more dramatic. It'd be the same with Australian football, that you don't really understand it, but I'm sure you understand. The point is to get the most points at the end. So this is where I think kind of this is a little bit tricky to show as a sports movie because, you know, it is a it is a unique sport in that, yeah, okay, at the end of the day, you need, what, the most points, but then it's kind of, how does this work and how does this happen? So that's where mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit confusing for me. And so like in this scene with the old guys, it's kind of strange because it's also the case of, you know, this leads them into basically your, your stereotypical sports montage, you know, in a movie when they're training. And it's like, well, what training do you do you need to be running up gravel and doing push-ups and that for <laughs> curling? Like it's kind of, what?
1: You <laughs> like know what? Like, that, that's a thing for the time period, too, though, because I think we even t- talked about this during the Olympics. It used to be you looked at curlers, and they were all out of shape. But, you know, when you now that I follow a lot of these you know, athletes, uh, you know, on Instagram, Twitter, or whatever, they're posting pictures of the workout. Like, these people are so ripped. They look like they could be weightlifters now. Like, it's something that's definitely changed with the times about being in shape for curling. But at the point this movie
0: came out, definitely was not a thing. Well, that, that just blows my one opportunity making the Olympics. Thanks, fit curlers in 2020. <laughs> Thanks a lot. The one sport I thought I could do because I'm not fit and here you are getting ripped bodies. Good for you. Um, I do like the moment when they're they're battling the old guys and they get into like, who is it? Two of them get into a fight and they kind of do the whole hockey thing where they pull the shirt over the back of his head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do like that moment. Um, and then one of them has like alcohol in their broom when they're like pouring it or something. Yeah. What's going on? What is the point of this scene with Alcoholic Sister in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting where that guy's basically like, I could help you out? And she's all like, oh, thank you. Oh, that, yeah. But I'd rather what, yeah. stick something up her ass or something like that. It's,
1: <laughs> it, it's, it's a lot of the stuff in this movie. Like, I think Paul Gross wanted to make a movie that was subtle in its exposition. And so we get things where, you know, sisters are being introduced and you don't know. What, oh, I think it's that one. But now he's flirting with the other one or with the dad. He doesn't even say dad until it's like two minutes into the scene. Uh, but I, in this case, I just don't think there was a way to show that she was an alcoholic. He didn't want to come right out and be like, hi, my name's Amy. I'm an alcoholic. So I know I've known you your whole life. Why do you, did you introduce yourself to everybody like that? <laughs> they just had to show it was the only thing that they could do for obvious exposition
0: because there's no other way to show that she's an alcoholic. Well, that's also with this scene with the Beavers on the road. Because, you know, when we've got that bit where they're about to jump naked and they're all like, you know, I'm blah, 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 I'm a drug dealer. I, blah, 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 I bury dead people. Mm-hmm. To me, it didn't click there. I didn't even understand that he obviously works in a funeral home. Even when we saw that scene at the beginning, yeah. when he's like, I just thought he was like a pallbearer because he knew the guy. Like, I didn't realize that that was his job. So even this scene now where you're about to get the Beavers on the road and they're in, like, a Hertz. Like, I'm like, okay, so... So what? He so he works for the funeral home. Like it's it's not really Yeah. There's definitely some things in it where you kinda have to go, oh okay, that I get it now, sort of. Uh I don't
1: the gross cut. Yeah,
0: the gross cut. (laughs) Release the gross cut. Canada's version of the Snyder cut. (laughs) I I, like beavers in the middle of the road. Yep. Okay. Uh again, like (laughs) back to the tattoos. It's like this beavers obviously have a connection. Um so I, I like it when they're like trying to sweep the beavers away and then he like lifts one of his brooms up and the beaver's like eating the broom. Well, that's kind of <laughs> funny. Um, Leslie Nielsen though, like I, this is probably the, and I, I realized before he kind of went to satire and comedy that in what the fifties and all that, he was a very serious actor. I've, I I remember when yeah. he died, there was a lot of, all the tributes, they said all that. And I, I that was when I learned about that. But, yeah, I mean, I grew up, I'd I'd seen some of the Naked Guns. I loved Wrongfully Accused. I used to watch that all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, And I think I saw Airplane or Flying High, whatever it's called in whatever part of the world you live in. Like, I've seen bits and pieces of that, of course. Spy Hard? Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember Spy Hard. Yep, (laughs) I do remember Spy Hard as well. So, like, you know, I'd seen him in these wacky comedies. But you're right. Like, he's actually a good actor. And I think he kind of, he has that fine line, doesn't he, of he's a bit quirky, a bit funny, but then he's quite serious as well. So... Yeah, uh, it's kind of interesting to to see him in that role. I don't get the magic mushroom thing because like he he ever like stoned in this movie at all? Like I just I don't understand. Yes. It. Okay. Um, yep. they mentioned it I think during the tournament, right? Um, and then there's like all these weird bits of like them like they. So the whole thing is that they were on the cusp of winning the golden broom or whatever, but then they left. So, mm-hmm. but ten years have gone past, and apparently they suck now. Uh, So they're having to Mm -hmm. do this training thing. Why do these old guys not enter the golden broom or whatever it is? Because they (laughs) beat them and whatnot. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't understand the lesbian cop moment when she's at the breakfast table and everyone's staring at her and then they kind of go back to not and then she's flirting with Doris the waitress here and, okay... Um again it's great that it's in a two thousand and two movie, it's fantastic, but at the same time it's kind of okay. And then you talk about like these visual gags. Like just before we get Galaxy Quest guy about to go and learn about his sperm, he's jerking off watching German porn and then he can't get off, so he has to put a picture of his <laughs> wife on the screen. Okay. I kinda like that moment. I mean it's funny, but it's just it's so quick and like boom, there it is. And I do like the moment though when they're like laying <laughs> It's so quick, and then boom, there's... Which scene were you talking about? <laughs> I'm thinking about my own time watching German porn, apparently. But I, I do I do like the bit where they're laying in bed, and they, as you said, they're going through like, oh, what about Chris? What about that? And then... is is So Chris is the drug dealer, right? And they're like... No, Chris is Paul Gross. Oh, well, anyway, drug dealer. I like that bit when they're like, oh, what about drug dealer? And they're like, no, he's drug dealer. And they cut away to that little yeah. shot of him tilting his head, smiling in the camera. I do like that. Like, mm-hmm. that's funny. Just like a little, you know, takes you out of it a little bit, but it works. Um, yeah, and the uh, I don't know what else. What, the 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 bit when he's having sex with the sister, and then goes back to drug dealer guy. And then, so does this? <laughs> does the drug dealer sister have a kid as well? Like, because all of a sudden there's a kid that the she's drug kissing? dealer sister. Uh, not the drug dealer sister. Sorry, the sister sister. The alcoholic sister. She's got a kid. Yeah, she has a kid. Yeah. This is new, is it? Had we heard this before? Because all of a sudden she's (laughs) like kissing a kid. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Release the gross cut. Seriously. Who is this This kid? This needs to be a thing. I don't don't want to imply that she's like, you know, Mary Jane Watson here and with drug dealer and with Paul Gross and with random child. Like, you know, like I want some context to this child getting kissed in bed. That's a sentence I never thought I'd say in my life. Um, (laughs) And then... the the thing, too, with the the whole astronaut thing, and I I might be jumping ahead here, I'm not sure, because, like, we get random cut to American Space Agency. That's coming next, yeah. But it's just, it's kind of odd, because it's like, okay, here's the American Space Agency, because I'm watching a movie about curling, and I was hoping there was going to be a space angle. This is like Moonraker all of a sudden. But, um, yeah, I feel like I'm being so negative on this movie. I'm not disliking this movie, but it's just... You know, with with cut, 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 boom, 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 and just yeah, there's just random moments all over this place. Which again, as I yeah, release release the gross cut. Yeah,
1: I like the, it sounds funny, but like I think that really should be a thing because I didn't pick up on it as much, you know, in 2002 or 2009 or whenever the last time I watched this movie was. But now because these movies, these you know R-rated comedies, these R-rated adult comedies, have become so big. You just realize how much they were holding back in this movie and that likely a lot of these scenes were that could have explained more, they just like, okay, we have to cut this out because I think we're going a little bit too far here. But almost everything, especially in this middle section of the movie, it's not even just it feels like. You can tell that these scenes were probably twice as long or there was way more stuff that was cut out. And yet this isn't that long movie. It's an hour 45 minutes. The story is interesting enough. I just don't see any reason why... This movie would have to be as rushed as it is. I 100% believe that there is probably some very lengthy director's cut out there that would be much better of a movie because I think so much about what does hurt this movie is the rush nature and the lack of explanation. But everything I'm seeing on screen is making me believe there is a lot more there that was just cut.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And, it, and it's just, I mean, other random little moments too that you see, like, in all these montagey bit bits. Like, when they're in the, the herds and the beaver scene, like, there's one of the... Is that the wife of the one trying for the baby just randomly in the car? And then in some of the, the training montages and they're running up the gravel, there's another woman there. It's kind of like, well, why is she as part of this training? Like, it's kind of... It's just just random little moments here and there that you just feel needs, or, or were, explanation. And, like, the bagpipe guy. Like, I get the, the connection to Scotland with curling. I'm assuming that's what it is, but we've randomly just got bagpipe guy playing o Canada" on the gravel. And like, it's just okay. Um, it's just sure. That makes sense to a lot of people watching, doesn't it?
1: Uh, we're about to get into the most bizarre stuff in this movie, which is the astronaut storyline. <laughs> and again, right along with, you could tell they were going somewhere with this, but it just wasn't told properly in the movie. I understand the reasoning why they would have Julie as an astronaut, you know, Part of it is, okay, so we want the sisters to be polar opposites. We have one who has her life completely together, you know, but does not connect, you know, with Paul Gross as much as the one whose life's a complete mess and connects with him more. And so he ends up going with the obviously less successful sister, uh, but that never becomes a thing of the rivalry between the two sisters. They're, they they don't even fight over Paul Gross, it's just sort of a thing where they both understand, yeah, you know I, I'm not hundred percent sure if I want this guy, neither of them are decided on him, so it's not like they're really fighting over him, but you could have kept that and maintained a thing of the two sisters maybe being jealous of each other for different reasons. you know Julie's jealous because um, what's the other, Amy is you know able to connect with her ex fiance. Amy's jealous because Julie is an astronaut and she's an alcoholic single mother, you know? And maybe they were going that way with the movie, but they didn't do anything. But then we get this side plot, which I actually do think this falls more along the lines of almost like Boy Town-style comedy. And it's funny, the more that I go through this, the more I realize that Boy Town and Men with Brooms are essentially two movies with the same problems. They're very funny movies. They're movies that have a very great story, clever idea that just don't 100% know what they want to be – so they end up not really being anything at all, and if they wanted to go full outrageous comedy, this astronaut storyline works because the way that we're introduced to you know the the, the NASA scenes here, where they're basically saying that uh, Julie, the the astronaut sister, uh, is going to have to go up because you know the the guy was sick, and then the other guy celebrated too hard or something like that and got kicked out. Who knows? They don't even completely explain that. Uh, you think that's going to suddenly become a drama of, well, is she going to stay to watch you know, the, the celebration with the dad wanted, or is she going to go in space? But then these astronaut guys at the end of the movie, they're just there. So why do the story of they're just going to be watching? It doesn't create any drama in the story, but maybe that was the original point where it was like, oh, am I going to stay or go? Because these guys show up and they eventually talk. I'm just going to cover that whole story now because it really makes no sense. Uh, they say she's got to come in, and I do really like this scene where the guy's explaining what happened. And he keeps using the quotations. And so the main NASA guy just looks at him and in quotes says, go away. <laughs> that was really funny. Uh, but they come to the house and they basically say, oh, you're going to space. And even the mom's really excited. My baby's going to be an astronaut. She's going to be in space. And I 100% believe it was probably supposed to be something of, yes, you're going to need to go next week or whatever. Oh, but, you know, can we delay it for just one week because I really need to see this Was my dad's dying wish. And eventually they're like, you know what? We're not supposed to do this, but we'll do it. But we're going to stay here and watch it with you. And that explains why they're there. It doesn't bring anything to the story by cutting it out. But I 100% believe that was probably supposed to be in this movie. Um, it's still kind of funny to watch these guys getting really into Curling at the End too. Uh, we're basically up to the tournament now. I can cover the majority of this. Not just the majority. I can pretty much cover the whole thing now. Uh, the soundtrack gets really good here. So we get introduced to most of the most famous Canadian songs of the time period. Uh, as the tournament starts, we get the Matthew Goodband song "Hello Time Bomb." Uh, just a side note: uh, the Matthew Goodband, uh, huge in Canada, probably one of the top five bands of this era. You know, multiple multi-platinum albums. Uh, I saw them in concert once. At, like it was this giant festival where you had you know seven, eight, nine, ten different bands, and Matthew Goodband were one of the headliners. The main headliner was Hole, nah. uh, Courtney Loves Band Hole. Yeah, and. Uh, completely unrelated to this, but I remember my brother and I were there and we were just done at this point and Courtney Love kept saying she was going to flash, hey, if you guys are good I'll show you my boobs. And you could just the entire crowd just like, oh boy, okay. We've seen them before. <laughs> she teased it the whole concert and nobody cared and at the end she flashes the crowd and no response whatsoever <laughs> which is hilarious. Uh, but Matthew Goodband was one of the headliners. Another one of the bands on that festival was Silverchair, an Australian band. Yes. and silver chair uh, goes on first yeah they go on first give this incredible performance matthew goodband who's much bigger here in canada goes on next gives the single most boring performance i have ever seen in any concert and they actually apologize and say, sorry, we went out drinking with the guys from Silverchair, and it's very clear that they're much younger than us. <laughs> uh, and they just leave it at that. <laughs> Apologizing the performance because they got uh, very basically outdrank <laughs> by Silverchair. Yeah, there you go. So they were Matthew Bad <laughs> We have Band. to apologize. The Matthew Bad Band, yes. <laughs> right. Um, but still, it's a great song. I think this is one of the other exciting things to have a Canadian movie where people are going to see this because Canadian music – it's not unusual that that half of the stuff you hear... This isn't like movies where it's dominated more by American movies or American TV shows. Canadian radio stations are pretty much a 50-50 split of Canadian music and then everything else. So hearing a song like the Matthew Goodband's Hello Time Bomb in a movie would be exciting for Canadians because you're never going to hear it anywhere else, just like the Tragically Hip song. Uh, and we get introduced to our villain here, uh, another semi-famous Canadian actor, Greg Brick, who... Um, was recently on a tv show called bitten which was a werewolf tv show kind of uh i don't know, true blood version uh, of werewolves uh canadian true blood version of werewolves uh and his wife actually hosts a very famous uh hgtv renovation show which is quite a good show called a brick uh at a time or something like that coming
0: soon to but, the old uh, network
1: yeah but um uh again didn't recognize him at all because he's More famous now that he's older and looks completely different. But I I like his villain character here, Yount, uh, who's the Olympic medalist but has never won the Golden Broom. So we have an Olympic medalist coming back, which, again, this is a Canadian thing. Like, the way that teams will qualify for the Olympics is, you know, you'll have your champions in all the different provinces, and then they'll have nationals and stuff like that, and sometimes you get an upset. And one of the big things that happened with Canada in the last Olympics was – our gold medalist team, which is from Winnipeg, uh, Jennifer Jones, her team, uh, they lost the Manitoba tournament, therefore couldn't qu- even qualify to qualify for the Olympics, even though it was sort of considered an upset. So it's not like, oh, you're the top, so we're going to put you up there. It's almost luck of the draw sometimes. And that's kind of the story here, that you have these Olympic medalists who just happen to have lost the golden broom this regional tournament, but they're here to compete. Um, we get another uh, famous Canadian song, Dig in a Hole by Big Sugar. This is like one of my mom's favorite bands. Uh, they have two songs in this movie. Uh, and then we have probably the biggest laugh this got in the theater. And I already mentioned the Tragically Hip, biggest Canadian band in history. In Canada, you can't even say biggest Canadian band. It's just biggest band in history. You'll have people saying Beatles are Tragically Hip and people say Tragically Hip. Uh, they're going through all the different – and Sarnia is being represented by Team Whatever and uh, – uh, Windsor is represented by this and Ottawa is represented by this and Kingston, Ontario represented by the Tragical Hip and they cut to a shot of the band the Tragical Hip in their curling <laughs> uniform with their brooms just sort of waving to the crowd I was and wondering that's literally that was really
0: all you get I, re- I was actually wondering if <laughs> it, it was there is, yeah. <laughs> 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 which is like just
1: imagine this joke play if you're watching this and it's like, and it, it, the Olympic curling movie, and Ireland represented by you 2 And you just see Bono in <laughs> the edge, waving the crowd. That's the way this joke played in Canada. Um, uh, so, yeah, the space agency guys are there. Uh, they, they introduce themselves to the door. There's one funny joke here where they say, hi, I'm whatever, I'm with the space agency. Hi, Amy Foley, I'm with AA. <laughs> Again, I like some of the funny lines here. Uh, there's another burnt rock. So the first... The big drama here is about this burnt rock that he was ashamed of. And Paul Gross is very un-Canadian here because in their first matchup with the Olympic medalist, he burns another rock. It's touched with a foot, and he does not call it. He even has Leslie Nielsen looking on at him, and he just shakes his head no, and he just lets it go. Uh, so this drives the gold medalist to get really angry and be very aggressive, and they totally destroy them. So they end up losing, Uh, the uh wife of um what's his name? Um Neil comes up here and she gives this bizarre line about uh, there's straws and there's camels and there's backs. And he goes, that's really cryptic. And the son just says, She may be talking divorce dad, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. <laughs> um and uh yeah, that we have another discussion here with the sisters where they're saying, you know, this isn't about you and him, this isn't about me and him, this is about me and you, and then Molly Parker's like, what, like some lesbian incest thing? <laughs> uh, but they're just sort of getting over, their st- I'm sure there was a scene here where it's like, you're an astronaut and I'm just an alcoholic, it's okay. <laughs> but we never got that. Um, Paul Gross, another one of the most clever parts of this uh, uh movie here. Paul Gross at the bar, drowning his sorrows, where he asks the bartender, how much for the drink? And he yeah. says, Oh, a dollar fifty. How much <laughs> for the glass? A dollar fifty. How much for the TV? I don't know, hundred <laughs> fifty. So he picks up the glass and throws at the TV and then hands over the money. <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah. And then we get um alcoholic sister here showing up. Uh she says you should throw a rock like you should throw that at the TV. Uh, They take him to, we find out his mom's grave where Leslie Nielsen is and we have this father and son moment uh, where they get over their issues and then he says, you need to take a good long look at that woman who brought you here. We get a very quick scene, again, very quick scene of uh, Chris and uh, Amy in the car together uh, and then we're basically off to the end of the movie. Uh, We should mention that Neil, after his wife showed up here, decided he was going to leave the team. Which means Leslie Nielsen is stepping in, and he's now part of the team. Now, I've seen this movie really three times. Maybe I was turned away or yawning at this point. But do they have a moment where they say you're stepping in, or do they just jump into the tournament and suddenly Leslie Nielsen's on the team?
0: I I, I can't answer because I was so confused. I was like, when he okay. like <laughs> when later when later on Leslie Nielsen's like I can't do it, and like oh well only mean we'll have three people left. I'm like wait, what happened to the other guy? Like I, I, I barely even yeah. explained that he just walks out.
1: Yeah, he walks out, but it's it, the way the scene's played, you don't believe... He just says, I'm done, and then leaves. You don't believe he's left the team officially, and they don't have a scene where Leslie Nielsen's like, all right, well, I'm stepping in, because uh, we're going to have the same dilemma coming up again where they have the three guys, yeah. So, yeah, they play the tournament. We get another big sugar song here. My mom would have loved this. Um, and th- they keep winning, they're winning, they're winning, they're winning, and then in the semifinals, Leslie Nielsen... Uh, again, gets permanent form. Uh, <laughs> he throws a rock stuck there, and uh, he's trying to reason them saying, "Just aim me for the rock, just aim me, guys." And it's like, "No, Dad, you can't move." Uh, so, as they advance to the finals, uh, even the commentators are saying, "You know, how are they going to do this with only three men?" And then they're all looking at the rule book, and they realize there is a three-man rule. So, if a player is injured, you are allowed to proceed as a three-man team if you choose to. Uh, with this, we go straight to the finals, and they're against the Olympic medalists that they lost in the beginning. Now, this is one of the odd things about the movie. We're introduced to the idea of this is going to be a sports story at the beginning. We get a couple of training montages, but it's mostly personal stories of these guys. And then we have 40 minutes left in the movie, and it all becomes the sport, and suddenly it is 100% a sports movie. Now, I think there's other sports movies where this happens, where it's just, like Rocky's a good example. This is maybe more along the lines of Rocky, where... Yeah, it's about this boxing match, but it's really not until the last 20 minutes of the movie where it has anything to do with that, and then it becomes a sports movie. But that still maintained a more personal story. This just feels like they drop all the personal stuff, and now it is a sports movie 100%. But I do like this as a sports story here. Like Once they get to this final tournament, it's cliched. It's everything we've seen in Cool Runnings and everything else. But I think it's fun, and you know, when they're losing and losing and losing, and there's this moment where, um, the, uh, I can't, I, think, I can't even remember if it was one of the commentators, but somebody says, what this team really needs is a good lead, man. <laughs> and then, of course, drug drug dealer's girlfriend just leaves, and we cut through the country club, and Neil is there, and they're being introduced as the newest members of this country club, something else that was not introduced, that he was forced to leave this so he could join a country club. And, uh, She's like, uh, Neil, and then doesn't even say they need you or whatever, just shows up there. And she's saying, the wife is saying, if you stand up and he just immediately stands up, you stood up. (laughs) And he he just leaves, stands up to his wife, leaves. um, And this is, we're going to cover the movie coming up soon, but the replacements, does this, I don't know how familiar you are with the replacements. This is identical to the replacements when, you know, Keanu Reeves' character is out of it at halftime. Like, what are they going to have to do to get back in this game? And it's like, they need heart. What they need is a player with heart. And then the guy shows up to save the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I do like is that this is not... And the Waterboy. Public. And every other sporting movie in the history. And of- exactly. <laughs> it's very cliched sports. But I always find these types of things effective. Um, uh, they He does show up at the last minute uh, as they're coming back out. Uh, they're losing 6 nothing. And when he shows up, they start to turn it around. So now they're like down six to two and then six to four and then seven to six. And uh it's come down to there's an impossible shot that Paul Gross comes up with, or Leslie Nielsen comes up with, and they even question this is where they question him, say, Are you high right now? He goes, I am. But I've seen how this can work. It worked when the Swedes, you know, won the world championship in nineteen seventy two or whatever. And it's this bizarre which looks more like billiards. They even explain the game earlier on they say it's kind of like snooker or whatever and he he basically has to throw a rock against one of the backs so it could bounce forward knocking everything out uh an impossible shot he makes it but in the middle of it one of the feet touches the rock. So now we have the third burnt rock of this movie the first one happened before the story started second one happened against the olympic you know uh winners here in the first round and here it happens again so it's the same dilemma what's he going to do is he going to call it is he going to be honest and this time he does. He calls it. And the referee even comes up. He's like, what's going on? It's like, oh, we burnt the rock. It's like, I saw it. And the referee's even like, do you know how much this town needs? This ref is crooked enough that he's willing to say, I'm just going to let it slide. This town really needs this. But he's like, no, we have to, we have to do this fair. And they figure that's it. It's going to be over. But instead, uh, Mr. Olympic medalist here, yount, he says, let them reset it and let them go again, which everybody's like, are you crazy? We could win this thing. It's like, do you want to win like that?" Now here we have to have very Canadian. Even the villain has to be like, we got to be fair in the end. <laughs> um, so they're going to let them do it again. You think he's going to throw this impossible shot again. Instead, Paul Gross holds his head down to the rock. He's listening to it. And then he runs into the stands. Another moment almost identical to what we're going to see in the replacements when Canary shows up again. Uh, and he goes, and now he's finally uh, going to alcoholic sister. He's committing himself to her, and he he says something. Like, we need to finish that conversation we started in the truck. And I remember this being on all over the trailers. It plays very differently in the movies. When you saw this just in the trailer, because of the way the movie was promoted, you thought this was just a really ridiculous line. Uh, but here, you know, it's it's supposed to be kind of this nice, you know, touchy feely moment. It was uh, we need to finish that conversation we started in the truck? So we didn't say anything then look in my eyes and tell me that. It's supposed to be like this big romantic moment, but the way this played in the trailers was like, you know, he was just this idiot. It's like, we didn't say anything. It's like, look in my eyes and tell me that. I always remember this being like a funnier thing before I saw this in the ending. Uh, But he goes back out there, and instead of throwing the same impossible shot a second time, he throws this thing so hard that he explodes the rock. And of course, their former coaches, Ashes, are on the middle of this. It explodes all over the rink, They get one piece right in the middle, and they win. So celebration. Villain even comes up to him, and he gives this really bizarre line where he says, On this planet that we call home, I have never (laughs) seen a shot like that. Good job. And what I love is that you have this really over-the-top line, and as he's walking away, instead of them being like, what a nice guy, they're like, on this planet we call home. (laughs) They just start (laughs) mocking the guy. Most un-Canadian thing. Uh, final moment of celebration at the bar where we even see the kids pounding back milk and shot glasses (laughs) which is a really funny visual Uh, and then Paul Gross walks off with the alcoholic sister Um, they make her spend a lot of time in a bar in this movie for an alcoholic when they're very concerned about her but uh, end of the movie I really do love this last section I always remember this movie more for this as being more of a sports movie than a personal movie but I do think the personal... I think the love story works here. It works better than anything else in this movie. But yet, the thing that I think is weirdest for me uh, is we, we also have, I should mention, uh, the um, other team member's stories coming to conclusion as the the guy who was trying to impregnate his wife, she couldn't hold her bladder during the biggest moment of the game, and after they won, she basically was like, yeah, everybody's celebrating, and she pees on a stick, and she starts cheering because she realized she's pregnant. And the... 400-pound defecating monster of a man or whatever <laughs> uh, shows up right at the end. You! And they think that he's dead. Uh, and instead he's like, "In uh, I've come from 1,200 years of curlers or something really bizarre like that. <laughs> and he's like, that was the single greatest thing I've ever seen. And he just forgives him. Uh, so everybody's stories are wrapped up. And at the bar, uh, the guy who left his wife is now with the drug dealer's girlfriend. <laughs> yep. Um, because. <laughs> just Because. Uh everybody lives happily ever after, but I, I actually really do think that when you get to the last bit of this movie, I think the love story works. I think all the characters get their moment and I think the sports stuff works.
0: I am confused at these world champion <laughs> Olympic guys, right? And I looked him up, this this guy, what's his name? Greg Burke Burke. Greg Brick? Brick. Greg Brick. He's from yeah. Winnipeg. Did you know that?
1: I did know that.
0: There you go. You should see uh, his
1: wife. You, you, you'd, you'd very much
0: appreciate his wife if you looked her up. All right, let's 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 have a look. I, I appreciate Greg Brick. He looks like a nice guy. Um, Greg Brick, wife. Uh, Danielle Nicholas. Um, oh, yeah, she's all right. Uh, yeah. You should watch her show.
1: It'll get you into reno shows.
0: Uh, okay. Um, but, like, I don't understand his character because it's like he comes out on the ice and he's like rock... Sh- like fireworks and he's smiling and he's all he's very lightning mcqueen like you know and just all this kind of stuff
1: (laughs) 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 the first time no that's gonna be the first time casper ever listens to this podcast you have dropped a line that is gonna have him so excited
0: because you quoted lightning mcqueen (laughs) didn't he like spell out the word oz or something like that on one of your he, he spelt Casper Oz. See? Again, I don't even know where he learned to
1: spell. We have never taught him how to spell, and he's spelling stuff all over the place. And one of the things he spelt was his name
0: followed by Oz. I don't usually like using the word grooming when it comes to me and children, but we're grooming him to become a host uh, <laughs> at some point in the future. So Casper Oz. There you go, Casper Oz. And it's it's just got to be your son Casper talking about Casper, the friendly ghost. So... And going, ka-chow, everyone. Ka-chow, in a while. <laughs> everyone. It's Kaspar with your host, Casper Hilding. Ka-chow, ka um, But, like, he comes out and he's all, like, you know, energetic and that. But then he turns into kind of, like, wooden stick man with no personality. Like, it just, it's kind of well, odd. It, yeah. No, it be, I think
1: it's because of the showmanship. Like, they show he's coming out with, you know a light show and music and fog machines and stuff like that. And he's really playing to the crowd, but he's super serious in real life. Okay, sure. Um... <laughs> well, it clearly wasn't, wasn't like the biggest thing in the movie, but I think that
0: anybody would at least get that out of it. Well, clearly I'm dumb. Um, but... <laughs> also, why is everyone like in a uniform and our, our four are just in like, you know, clothes from the warehouse or the well, way you don't know what they mention uh, Walmart too uh that's, they do do they yeah mention that? well yeah I, and
1: I again I think this is where you'd probably I don't know if this is a thing in the sport but at least it makes sense here when you see like these regional things the home team is going to be allowed into the tournament regardless you know uh it's just it's just like in the Olympics you automatically qualify as long as you have a home team You don't have to be the very best, which is why when you get a country like South Korea, they suddenly have so many more opportunities. So I think the idea here is that these are all the best from around the province. But just because Long Bay is hosting this tournament, they get to put up their team. But because they're not a real team, they even mention here in the movie, it's like, yeah, we we don't dress like curlers, we dress like losers.
0: Right. I must have not. Seen that scene, but I believe you. Uh, and the commentators as well, like they reminded me. Um, oh, I mean, I guess it's a sports cliche, isn't it? With sports movies, you kind of have these over-the-top commentators. Like, um, yeah. let's bring up your favorite, the Love Guru, when you've got Stephen Colbert commentating the Stanley Cup and just random things like that. Like, but they're getting drunk, in Major League. Yeah, yeah, the ones in um in the Waterboy when it's you know they keep going off at each other. Every sports movie, basically. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. what about the Mighty Ducks? And they got Paul Kariya in to commentate, like, because <laughs> <laughs> why not? Um, Wayne Gretzky randomly makes a cameo in a movie about ice hockey. Of course he does. Um, so yeah, just random little bits there when they're just all. Of a sudden... And the guy in the like the beige jacket, like he's just Mr Wooden Man, and the other guy's getting drunk. So it's kind of like okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like the side story with astronaut wife about like you know oh you've got to come into space, and they're all like yay she's going into space. And it's, okay, <laughs> when <laughs> is this a sequel? Men with brooms in space. Um, <laughs> sorry, men with brooms in space. Yeah. <laughs> I'd watch it. Um, why? Also, they're brooms. Like, is it explained why they tra- like they change them to kind of like actual brooms? I they mention it in the movie, but again, it's not very clear. And also, they they say they bring their
1: own rock, but like. You have to have so many rocks out there. How are they going to know which one had the remains in it by the end?
0: Yeah, yeah. And, don't and how they... are they going to know this is the final rock, you know? But isn't there the scene as well when they like they first play the Olympians where they're basically like, we will take the red rocks or something like that. They, they say, yeah. like, what if they had been like, no, and then... we've got a dead guy in one. Yeah, and in the final one too, like in the fi- they say uh, right before the
1: final match, they're even bringing their own rocks today. Mm. And you're like, okay, but is that allowed? Like you know if tom brady was doing this the other <laughs> <laughs> much
0: more scandalous deflate gate in curling stones yeah uh, wait a minute that curling and stone's like, deflating <laughs> yeah like maybe those
1: remains like the, i'm sure when it's burned down you know you lose a lot of weight but does that
0: make it a heavier rock is that is that regulation rock weight there and do curling stones really shatter that easily? I swear, so many shatter in this movie. They're, like, really expensive and really hard. Like, I don't... Like, is that a thing? Does that ever wow. happen before? Only if Paul Gross throws them. Right, okay. I do like the bar scene. That's <laughs> funny with the whole TV. And is that Barman? Is that Jorge Garcia? Is that Hurley from Lost? Uh, cause <laughs> he looks, looks like a him. lot like him, yeah. Yeah. And um, what was his
1: name again? Whatever his name was, like, they give him a name, and I'm like, that is the way that you will make fun of, like, Australian names. Like, that is the most Canadian name ever. I'm trying to remember what it is now.
0: Ryan Moose Beaver. Is that his name? I don't they know. They call I don't him know. something I, I, else. I want to hope so it is, because that's <laughs> the best name ever. You literally <laughs> made that. I made that up on the no, spot. No, whatever it is, <laughs> yeah,
1: whatever it is, they give him this name where I'm like, oh, that's it's like when Wolverine calls people Bub, you know, it's such a Canadian
0: thing, whatever they call him. But Yeah, like Mallory says Bud all the time. Um, but Mm -hmm. I said it once and felt weird, but anyway, I say mate, I'm Australian (laughs) and not really everyone's my mate, but cool. Um, yeah, like, again, I don't understand the whole, like all of a sudden one person's here and then he comes back and then he's like visualizing everyone in the country club as being like zombies or something like that. And okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then like, we've got lesbian cops and they don't even make out. They kind of just do a weird kiss. Like, is that kind of the extent of how lesbians were allowed to kiss in 2002 on screen? Maybe. I, I don't know. Um, I, I did. Mean, like I that... yeah, it's, it's still more than you would have seen anywhere else. True. I did like that line from one of the sisters about lesbian incest. Um, I was kind of like, okay, mm-hmm. yep, yep. That's <laughs> yep. Uh, there's a different movie. <laughs> um, and yeah, the whole winning thing at the end and, great and then they're in a bar and there's kids drinking shots i had to double check double check i'm like are they drinking (laughs) like is that milk like what like what's going on here (laughs) um and the whole bit with the guy returning from like the the drug dealer guy i was like what (laughs) like it was just it was funny but random but like this you you say the love stories i i honestly am just still confused by the love story because again like I, i don't think i ever got I never got it like that. He was meant to end up with the drug, uh, the drug dealer, the alcoholic one, you know, it's kind of, yeah, I just found it kind of weird. Like I I just felt the stakes were kind of well, on both of them that were the same. And then he ends up with her. Okay. Well, I think at the moment where she falls off the wagon, just, just cause she
1: sees him sleeping with her sister would have kind of clued you in
0: again. I'm dumb. I like dying die another day. So I don't understand. <laughs> things. <laughs> it's it's really that simple. And even the bit at the end in the bar when like Leslie Nielsen's dancing with the, with the mother, yeah, mum and they're all like, oh, our parents are going to get married and we're going to be step-siblings, but it's okay. We're in rural Ontario. It's fine. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if that's a thing, by the way, if rural Ontario is filled with people to do with incest. I've, I don't know if it isn't, I'll go back to Saskatchewan apparently, but yeah. Um, and then they literally walk off into the sunset. I do like the bit where they're um, what was what are they? The the writing comes up on the screen and it's like no beavers were harmed in the making of this film. Yeah, uh, and it's like honest or something like that. And then honestly, yeah, the curling stones in the end and he falls in the water. That's kind of funny. And then I like the bloopers at the end. I like that one where they're driving mm-hmm. and they're like reacting. And they're going like left, right, yeah. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Kind of funny. All um, movies need to have blunders in Eddie. the credits.
1: Well, like the the one where Eddie is, uh, uh, you know, putting his wife's picture on the TV instead of watching the porn, <laughs> and then instead of him just grabbing something he just starts
0: humping the screen. Yeah, <laughs> he was he was stimulating sex, Colin. He wasn't fighting the TV. Yes. <laughs> I like the one when he's like sweeping and he runs into the camera and he's just kind of like, yeah. Uh, Funny time. I don't really have a whole lot more to add. I mean, kind of obviously we're covering like 45 minutes of the film there, but it's, it is really curling. And I definitely get what you're saying about how it kind of just goes from stories into to sports movie. But and again, this is no disrespect to this movie or no disrespect to the sport of curling. But as somebody again, who is not that experienced in watching or knowing the rules of curling, I just, I feel it doesn't translate that well across for a sports movie. I feel like this is definitely a movie you appreciate more As a curling fan, it's kind of like what you talked about maybe with Rush or with car racing films that maybe you don't necessarily Mm -hmm. get them as much as say I would as being a fan of Formula One. So, and yeah, it's just, I just don't get as excited and all that sort of stuff at the end of this movie as I do in a lot of other sports movies, which are very stereotypical, but we watch them because we love that stereotypical part of the sports movie. Mm hmm. I don't get any uh, of the music, it, it, or the, the Tragically Hip. I don't get any of that either. So I was no Bieber, no Shania Twain, song. you know.
1: <laughs>
0: well, the last song that's played during the credits, Our Lady Peace
1: Life, I mean, at the time this came out, they probably were second only to the Tragically Hip. Uh, and they had a lot of success outside of Canada as well. You I know, know after Superman the, is dead. After that's the really
0: only tra- uh, yeah. Our Lady Peace song I know. Yeah, they, 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 they became
1: less successful. Successful in Canada as they started making more American sound, which was probably more in the mid two thousands. Uh, but they're still around. Most of these people are. Most of these people are still alive. Only the guy from the Tragic Leap is dead. Uh, Too soon, Colin. But, Too soon. Uh, this was his his last scripted screen role. I don't know. Leslie uh, But I do think dead. that it He is. Yeah. Paul Gross is alive and well. So is
0: Justin Bieber. <laughs> Just, Don't remind us. Uh, well, come on. With our track record, we can kill a few of these people off. So isn't it great that Justin yeah. Bieber's alive? Uh I won't respond to that. Chad Kroger. Um, <laughs> he breathes oxygen. It's great that he does. Uh, anyways, uh, that's Men
1: With Brooms. <laughs> uh, I do want to mention a few things uh, as we move on here. Uh, they did immediately want to do a sequel. to so first, I'll just mention the box office Uh, Box office mojo has some uh, I think slightly inaccurate figures on this, the overall gross is right, I think this movie made a little over 4 million dollars which was all in Canada because I don't think it got theatrically released outside of Canada, but uh, as we mentioned on both of our previous episodes, you have to put that in perspective of, you know, there's one tenth of the amount of people living here in Canada so a movie to make 4 point whatever billion dollars is like a movie making 40 million dollars Two thousand and two, that was a decent sized hit, especially for an R-rated comedy, uh, that was Canadian when nobody was paying to see Canadian movies. The biggest deal about this, and I think this is where this spawned a lot more mainstream movies, was the f- fact that they threw so much promotion into this movie because of Paul Gross and because of Leslie Nielsen, because somebody was making a mainstream movie that uh it actually opened number one at the box office. And I am pretty sure this still to this day is the last time that a Canadian movie was number one at the Canadian box office. Uh, I don't even know if it had happened any other times in my lifetime. We've had some other successful Canadian movies. Around this. T- the time this came out, it was also a big deal. There was David Cronenberg, who is probably most well-known for uh, the movies History of Violence, Eastern Promises, or even The Fly with Jeff Goldblum. You know, He made a movie here in Canada called Existence, which was kind of a really weird sci-fi movie that was like, oh, this movie opened in the top three at the box office. A Canadian movies in the top three, and that was a big deal. Uh, but for a Canadian movie to open number one, especially when there was a fair bit of competition out like the time this came out, The Time Machine, which is a personal favorite of mine. I know, you know, not like a classic movie, but I love it. Uh, we Were Soldiers with Mel Gibson. Like, there were still some pretty big movies out around this time, and this was number one for at least a weekend. Huge deal, huge uh, it did get a lot more mainstream movies getting made after this. Um, Men with Brooms, the TV show, uh, eventually came when they, after years, decided they weren't officially going to make a sequel. After talking about it for years, there was going to be the Men with Brooms 2. Instead, they did the Men with Brooms TV series, which I never saw because I don't even think I was really watching TV at the time. But I was aware that it happened because they, they had filmed at least the curling scenes here in Winnipeg. It wasn't a an adaptation of this. It wasn't really a sequel. It was sort of more of a spinoff. Paul Gross actually did the narration for it, but it was following new characters and sort of a new storyline, but similar to this. Only lasted for a single season. Uh, the biz- biggest success out of this was obviously the Canadian film industry because we started to get more movies. Like I said, that Ryan Reynolds movie, Foolproof, that came out the year after that, and other Canadian movies. Uh, Paul Gross himself, despite the fact that you would look at this say it's moderately successful because it made the equivalent of say, $40 million dollars, Paul Gross is given unlimited freedom on the next movie he directs, which came out years later. It was a big, supposed to be a big war epic called Passchendaele, which was about a world war one battle that was, uh, I can't remember if it was world war one or world war two. I think it was world war one. That's like the, the Canada's D day or Iwo Jima. This is just this massive well-known battle with Canadian history. And he announced he was going to make it. And they gave this movie an obscene amount of money to make it. Like this was a real big budget movie. Uh, In Canadian terms, we're talking about maybe $20 million. Uh, Let's just say that's the equivalent of a $200 million epic. And the movie came out, and it made just as much money as Men with Brooms, but because of how much it cost to make, it was considered a failure. Yet, I actually think it made more money than Men with Brooms overall. Uh, So Paul Gross at least proved himself that he can open two movies. Uh, He had another movie in between called Gunless, which is one I'd really like to cover, which he didn't make himself, but he starred in, which was kind of a you know, Western comedy. uh, And uh, eventually he would sort of wrap up his directing career. The last movie he made was called Hyena Road. Again, another big war epic was in Afghanistan war epic. That one was a good movie. Now, Passchendell, his world war one movie. I thought it sucked. Um, He spent the, the majority of the movie focusing on like these sappy stories about people at home. And then the battle stuff was like 20 minutes right at the end. Uh, but Hyena Road, the Afghanistan movie, made much better a, a dramatic movie as opposed to you know comedy or just straight drama that he did Passion Dell. But still, to this day, the one guy that if he wants to make a movie, they will say we'll give you whatever you want because we know that you'll at least give us a profit. Spends most of his time working on TV shows now, you know, uh, writing, directing, and even starring in TV shows. He's got like a new TV show all the time. But still, probably the only bankable star that is 100% a Canadian star. Um, reviews, uh, do you have it open there? Because I'm having trouble juggling on my laptop I here. I
0: do have some, yes. Um, oh, sorry, I was actually looking at the plot keywords, and we've got some great ones this week. I just want okay. to tease that. Uh, I've got some reviews. Uh, American Magazine Entertainment Weekly gave it a grade of C-, minus, calling the film's cast charming but criticized the script for being alternatively overdetermined and touching, crass and sharply comic. Um reviewers for Jam, that's J A M exclamation point, were split. I know Jam. You do? Yeah. That's that's
1: well that's like the that at least at the time, that would be the big Canadian entertainment website. Right. Got so her. even Canadian critics, they weren't like so kind to this that they're saying, Oh, this is Canadian, we have to love it. Like it got pretty much the same reaction, when everybody is like, Yeah, it's it's not a perfect movie, but it's good for what it is.
0: Yeah, one called it a perplexing example of promise unfulfilled, despite many charming moments whose romantic elements are light like watery beer with the alcoholic kick removed and the comedy elements are often too crude and clumsy to do justice to the movie situations. Uh, and then another called it writing, wi- sorry, winning ensemble comedy that shows Canadians can put gentle laughs and equal gentle sentiments on the button just as easily as their counterparts anywhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a... All right. Rotten Tomatoes review of it. Um, I can't see anything here. Maybe I need to find it. Oh, no, hang on. Uh, If I press this button here, Ben, you would be able to find it. Uh, Men with Brooms has 61% uh, on Rotten Tomatoes and 67% audience score. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Pluck keywords. Tell me them. Uh.
0: (laughs) Oh. All right. Let's let's just go with some, just, you know, brief ones here. So we've got Astronaut. Yep. (laughs) Okay, cool. Curling stone, funnily enough. Yep. Uh, We have video wheel, sure. Drawing with lipstick. Man on toilet. Beaver tattoo. Skinny dipping. Man using a walker. Fuzzy dice hanging from a rear view mirror. Shirt pulled over someone's head. But then it gets better because we could celebrate uh, the month of cowgirl sex position month. That's... uh, (laughs) One that I would look forward to, featuring Deadpool, <laughs> Annihilation, Fifty Shades Freed, and Knock Knock. Um, we, we also have woman wearing a one-piece swimsuit month, man carrying a woman month, vomiting on someone month. That would work. Oh. Um, p- positive pregnancy test, sister-sister relationship, uh, heart attack month. But my favorite one, I think we need to do this one, Canadian twenty dollar bill month, oh, featuring oh daredevil me and men with brooms. <laughs> no it. other Canadian movies have featured a Canadian twenty dollar bill. Apparently not. Um, yeah, that's, Speaking that's, of that's, which,
1: that um, I, I want to remember what movie it was. It was probably some movie around the same time period that filmed. in It was an American movie. It filmed in Canada, and it was a scene that was taking place in... I think it was New Orleans or somewhere around there. And I was watching this and somebody flashed money and they flashed Canadian money. And I'm like, this is supposed to be taking place in the States. They're, they're, they're so lazy that they couldn't even get a fake American dollar bill. Uh, so there's at least one other movie out there that has a blooper of a Canadian $20 bill, but we'll have to find that for future episodes. Uh, ben, what are you going to do with this movie?
0: Hmm... Um. I mean, look, I didn't hate this movie. I didn't hate it, so I'm not going to bin it, although I didn't love it. Uh, So, again, that really leaves me with the category of rent it, and I think that's what I'm going to do. I mean, I don't know if it's a movie I'd rush out to watch any time again soon. Um, You know, it's definitely not a brilliant film, but it's still enjoyable enough. Like, I had had laughed in it. There were some moments in it which was good, and, yeah. So uh, maybe I'll wait to the gross cut again. I'm not too sure, but I am going to (laughs) rent it. Yes, please, release the gross cut. Uh, We really need to
1: uh, see more of this. Uh, I I do think there's a good movie in here. And for a first-time director, I think Paul Gross, he did a lot of things really right, but I think that he was ambitious and was in a time period where nobody else had really attempted what he wanted to do yet, and he didn't really have all the guts to go all the way. And I do believe if he made this movie now, it would be way better uh, because people are more accepting of you know just an R-rated comedy that is not you know American Pie or something like that. Uh, but I mean, I said from the beginning, I I understand there's problems with this movie. Uh, I think even if we go even further back than that, when we just introduced what we were doing this month. I said you know uh, I'm definitely a big fan of one of the movies. The other one I think is a good movie that is just important for what it did for Canadian movies, and I think that's still the most interesting thing about this is that we had a hit Canadian movie that people bought into. And I really don't think there's many people who are like, I love I'm obsessed with men with brooms, but it's a movie that people have heard of and they know here. And that's still a big deal. Uh, and it's a real big hit movie. And I, I, I think the other interesting thing is that Paul gross for the guy who was the reason people went to go see this movie. He really held back on himself in this movie. You don't get his charisma. He he wanted everybody to be you know equal. Let's give everybody their moment. And I think he actually took away from himself in the process. So some of the other movies that we might do in future years, you'll really see what his appeal is. But it, I, I I think he just he tried to do too much in this movie. And I really do stand by that. I think this and Boytown as two completely different types of movies share the same problems. The only difference is I think that Boytown was a movie that intended to go for the all-out laughs to make a really outrageous satire, and they too often fell back on being too normal, whereas I think this was a movie that was trying to be more normal and too often fell back on let's do really outrageous comedy. So they're, they're two completely different sides of the coin here, but I think suffer from the same problems. Not great movies, but entertaining for what they are. And I never really went out of my way to watch this movie a second or third time, you know. But it's not one of these things that I would ever be opposed to watching again. So I'm I'm going to do the same thing as you are going to do. I'm going to rent it as something that has issues, but I enjoyed it for what it is.
0: There we go. That's um, I I thought we both chose movies that we both loved and were going to buy, but I'm I'm impressed that mm-hmm. you went out and did one that's not quite that way. I have to think of an Australian movie it's... that I'll do that next year.
1: Like I said, I think that this is extremely important movie uh for the success it had and what it did, but I agree not a great movie. Next year we're gonna get into some great movies because I got some great ideas.
0: Eh but, eh but eh bud.
1: Yes there we go.
0: <laughs> I actually What's I iwi will I, strug- I, I, I you w know, I'll I'll talk about that, but I just I was struggling to think about movies for like there's definitely one I want to do next year. But then I was thinking of like a second one, and and like just based on what you were saying, I think maybe it's important that we probably do Crocodile Dundee because I mean, you know, mm. in terms of what that did for Australia in the '80s, and like I don't get me wrong, I like Crocodile Dundee, but I maybe don't like it as much as I meant to as an Australian. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> so maybe that will be one next year. But no, next week. I mean, look, you, you talk about important, iconic Australian films. I mean, you speak to any Australian. And you say, like, what is the greatest Australian movie of all time? The majority of people will answer The Castle. And we even had uh, one of our listeners, Chris Dixon, hello, Chris, basically comment saying, if you don't talk about The Castle, I will never talk to you again. Now, as tempting as that is, Chris, we are going to be doing The Castle. So (laughs) I'm joking, Chris. I'm joking. Please, I'm joking. But... Yeah, this is just an absolute no-brainer for anybody doing an Australian Film Month, particularly for, you know, people outside of Australia who have not seen this because it's just such an iconic movie in Australia. I've mentioned before, it is quoted to this day. People will say lines in this movie and you automatically, even in New Zealand, I've said lines and people know lines from this movie because obviously it was quite big deal here. And, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, a, oh, it's such a good movie. It's funny. It's serious. You're going to see uh, Eric Banner in this movie, a very young Eric Banner, pre-big oh. famous Eric Banner in this. This was like back when he was doing TV shows in Australia. He had like a comedy show, and Eric Banner, the Eric Banner show, mm-hmm. where he was like a sketch comedy show, if you've ever seen any of those clips. Yeah. Uh, so this was like Eric Banner, the comedian. This was, I think, three years before he ever did Chopper and kind of really made it big in the States. Um, you're going to see one of the members of Boytown in this movie again. But, I, I mean, even some of the people in this, again, very standard Australian cast. A lot of these actors have been in lots of other things. Michael Caton is a bit of an Aussie legend, the the main guy. Antenny, the uh, the main lady in this movie, she's sort of, you know, highly regarded in the TV industry in Australia. She was in a very popular show in the 80s and another what was one of my favourite Australian TV shows. Number two, I think it came on our top 50 shows of all time. So, yeah, a very esteemed cast And it's also like the thing which is really good about this movie is that this is a movie essentially with a political message. This is actually a a movie really detailing, at the time, what was very big in Australia, uh, land rights issues and sort of around uh, Aboriginal people fighting for for land rights. So this movie essentially has this whole uh, theme behind it without you even really realising that you're watching a movie with a massive political theme behind it, and that's what makes it really, really good. So I'm looking forward to you seeing it. Mallory, I know, has seen like two-thirds of this movie, and basically I think she enjoyed it for the most part. She's got to see the ending of it. Mallory's mum watched it and really enjoyed it. So good track record here when it comes to Canadians, I guess, semi-enjoying this movie, so we'll see how that turns out. But yeah, this is just the most iconic of iconic Australian movies, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking about it.
1: Uh and it also sounds like it's gonna be completely different as we've
0: pretty much done exclusively comedies up until this point. Is this not much of a comedy, more of a well, drama then? No, I would say it is more of a comedy, but there's definitely like it's a it's a it's a dramedy, I guess you would say. But like there's okay. definitely Like, there are some funny bits in this movie, but, like, I'll be intrigued to see with you watching it, because I feel this is a movie where you need to have an Australian watching it with you, so you can be like, okay, Mm -hmm. this is what's funny about this, like, immediately, because there will probably be moments in this movie you're going, okay, yep, and then I'll be on the episode going, oh, this line, it's hilarious, we say it all the time in Australia, and you'll be like, okay... (laughs) <laughs> like it's just it's it's very I will say this movie is a lot more Australian than Boytown in terms of just how okay. it's just suburban Australia this is basically what we do we make fun of ourselves and yeah it's it's a great movie if you don't like this All movie, right. I will never talk to you again <laughs> as tempting as that is ben
1: uh, <laughs> I think it's still gotta give it the best shot um. I'll, I'll I'll give it a whirl and I I may need your assistance in finding cuz I don't know if this is going to be an easy move to find but uh uh I'll try. Uh, <laughs> but that's coming next week and uh in the meantime we've got Survivor coverage continuing on. You heard a couple of Chris Underwood references in this episode. That recap already happened. Uh so we do have another one lined up for next week. And uh, Total Drama Island continuing as well. Um is that all we have going on right now?
0: Uh... I mean, there's a couple of yes. non-spoiler reviews that are probably not that new anymore. Um, <laughs> sure. 007 coming. Double 007. I, I <laughs> <laughs> Tag other shit. Dou- the qualifying the lap. Podium, <laughs> the qualifying lap. The brink. Uh... Australian Survivor Archives. It's <laughs> maybe the only one of these shows that we actually record new episodes of. Lots still to come.
1: Uh, and the castle next week and then next year Australia Canada too Um, make sure to subscribe to all of our social media channels uh, find us wherever just listen to the end of the episode we'll tell you what to do you don't
0: need to do this anymore (laughs) Colin I made it easier for us (laughs) I know Uh, my name is Colin and (laughs) ka-chow my name is Ben and so long karma Sutra girl thanks for downloading this episode from the Oz Network Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as find out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks once again for listening and we'll speak to you next time